Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, tonight we are going to be talking about the Confederate flag controversy and uh, asking, is it more about just race and the slavery? And uh, tonight we'll have discussions with our panelists. Uh, we have Joe on the line, which we'll bring on shortly. Uh, we're hoping to have uh, Dan on as well, but he had a uh, emergency that he had to attend to, so we'll keep him in our thoughts, and hopefully we'll be able to hear him later on the show. And uh, we're supposed to hear later on the show from our panelist, Cindy Todd. And, of course, Kelly won't be able to make it with us. He's working on uh, 
projects there in California uh, with some engineering projects he's working on. Uh, so we want to wish them the best uh, luck as well. And so, as I said, we're going to be talking about the controversy on the Confederate flag, namely the speech by Nikki Haley, and the talk about removing uh, the Confederate flag. Of course, this has been a controversy that's been around for a very long time. However, with uh, the recent events in uh, South Carolina and across the country uh, with the different types of violence now, perhaps it's all being overplayed uh, by the media. Uh, in some instances, I think it is, and some perhaps not. I know one of the controversies uh, beyond what we're talking about tonight that this is brought up is about gun control laws, and perhaps we'll talk more about that as well this evening. Uh, but I think that when they're talking about you know the Obama speech, uh, talking about guns, of course, you know, saying that this doesn't happen in other countries, made me wonder, well, if any of those church doors had a gun with them. Now, I don't know if it's uh, some kind of unseen law or anything of that, or you don't bring a firearm into a church, I'm not certain. But I do wonder if someone in the congregation, whether the pastor himself, uh, knowing about the dangers that are out there, or maybe one of the folks in the congregation, if they had uh, were armed, perhaps they could have minimized uh, the threat by shooting him himself before his capture, for shooting him before his capture. Uh, so that's definitely something for, for thought. But I think uh, perhaps uh, there's definitely more to this than just uh, the race. Perhaps uh, during our discussion we'll find out more of what that is. And I do see uh, Cindy in there, so we'll be bringing her in uh, shortly as well. Uh, but I wonder how much of this is going to be about political correctness and about first talking about, and I hate to admit this, uh, agree so with Rush Limbaugh, uh, when it says that perhaps it's more about getting the Confederate flag out first, talk about all the ills that that uh, can symbolize. Of course, it also symbolizes uh, states' rights, which uh, I see the Civil War being more of a uh, battle about, more about states' rights, uh, fighting against the central government. Well, and then is it soon the next flag that's going to be banned is going to be the United States flag, at least uh, from the progressives and left who are going to tout, you know, all the bad things that supposedly, uh, maybe for some true and uh, a lot not, that the they suppose the Americans are guilty of. So let's go ahead and uh, bring in our panel, and I'll be bringing in Cindy. Uh, I know Cindy you don't got the, a lot of time with us, and I do have uh, our audio uh, from our most recent interview with Matt Bevan uh, ready for folks. Uh, perhaps we'll be listening to some of that uh, tonight towards the uh, middle part of the show, but we'll see how that goes. But first, uh, since you called in first, uh, Joe, thank you very much uh, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm great, Robert. How about you? Always a pleasure to be on. Thank you oh, for having me. Uh, doing well. Uh, we had a, a couple of guests, actually, who were going to uh, come on tonight, but uh, the schedule's go. Uh, we're not and I'm sure we will reschedule them. Uh, so I figured we'd talk about this topic this evening uh, because I think, as you pointed out earlier off air, that it's definitely something that's got a lot of attention. So, of course, give us the opportunity to chime in on it as well. So what, what are your thoughts on Nikki Haley's comments? Uh, her speech, uh, if I wish we would have had time to make an audio, to be honest, 
uh, Joe, just you know, the pro, our guest, had to uh, reschedule at the last minute, so didn't have time to make uh, the audio clips. Uh, but what do you think about it in general? In general, you know, it's 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 really a, a tough situation to weigh on to weigh in because, in many respects, um, I agree with what you said in the opening statement. Um, you know, many people who don't understand the uh, history behind the Civil War, uh, most people have the misconception that the uh, South, uh, the Southerners who seceded from the North, they were simply fighting for the right to uh, keep uh, their right to uh, to own slaves. Uh, when in fact, uh, many historians that have studied the Civil War um, have even went on record in stating it's it's a lot more than that. Um, you know, a lot of the people who fought, who seceded from the South, they were fighting a lot more um, than just for the right to keep uh, slavery. Uh, they were fighting for their right to uh, continue to live in the lifestyle that they had been accustomed to for, um, you know, hundreds of years. Uh, they were fighting for tradition. They were fighting for their southern culture and roots. Uh, they were fighting uh, against uh, Lincoln and uh, against the government uh, because uh, they felt that the government had no right to uh, tell the states uh, how they should live their lives. Um, and so uh, they fought valiantly. Uh, many people in, in the South fought very valiantly. Uh, and uh, I think it comes down to the Confederate flag represents um, the lives and the valor of all those soldiers who fought for what they believed in at the time um, and what they died for. Uh, they firmly believe that um, the same thing our founding father stated, um, you know, give me liberty, give me death. And... Um, that's what they were fighting for. They were fighting for um, a lot of different reasons. But if uh, many people still to this day think that they were fighting just for the right to keep um, slave slavery uh, when the North wanted to abolish it, but um, you know history um, validates that there was a lot more behind it. And to be honest. Uh, after the Civil War, uh, which ended in uh, 1865, after the surrender of uh, General Lee, which actually uh, last April marked the 150th anniversary of the official surrender ending the Civil War, began a period called Reconstruction, in which uh, the South, of course, was badly damaged. Uh, after the Battle of Gettysburg, which was the turning point of the war for the Union. And that's when the Union began, uh, uh, you know, fighting the war, taking the war into the South. So they began an era called Reconstruction. And uh, at that time, they had no problem with uh, the southern states that seceded that now had joined the Union as a result of the Confederacy uh, not winning the Civil War. Uh, they allowed them to keep the uh, flag as a as a uh, as a symbol, uh, a symbolism, as a uh, kind of as a um, a reminder of all the lives that were lost during the war, all the lives in the South 
uh, of the Southerners who fought. And truth be told, um, nobody really ever, um, you know, made any uh, any issues or, you know, uh, for 150 years, nobody has really, you know, uh, made any headwinds as of lately until now, really about the flag in itself. It hasn't even really been brought to issue um, as intensely as it has been brought up now. So um, I just don't... I honestly think, Robert, in the era of Reconstruction, had the uh, North mandated to the South that uh, they could not keep their flag, which was actually one of the conditions in which when General Lee did surrender... He, uh, he was actually uh, a pivotal part of the Reconstruction. He worked very closely after he had retired uh, as general when he lost the war. He worked as a as a public, uh, you know, figure in helping in, in the Reconstruction um, era until he died uh, at age 83 in 1870. And uh, part of um, what he had asked for as a concession he asked that during the Reconstruction era, he asked if uh, the South could keep the Confederate flag um, as a symbol um, of all the lives that were lost uh, during the war. And um, the North had no objections to it. Had the North had objections to it, and maybe had that issue been settled or had a different outcome during Reconstruction, let's say hypothetically the North would have not granted Lee's concession, uh, then we wouldn't be having this debate today. But the North allowed it and allowed this tradition to go on. It's you know, this many southern states have had this flag uh, for a hundred and te- technically 154 years, because 150 years marked the end of the Civil War. But the Civil War started in 1861, so. Um, I say leave it up to the states. I say, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I say to the southern states that want to continue to keep that 154-year tradition, and in no way, shape, and form has any um, public figure or historian uh, from the south has ever said that that flag has represented... um, hatred or had uh, or has represented um being racist uh, as lee said when he surrendered he said this flag as a symbol for all the lives who were lost in this tragic war and so if the southerners want to keep their this flag in the in, in the tradition that they have it i say leave it to them in a referendum put it in a referendum where they can vote on it in, in the upcoming election. Let the majority of the people decide it should be a state's issue and let them decide if they still want to continue the 154-year tradition of uh, keeping the Confederate flag as part of their history. Yeah, what I don't understand is, is the very people who are, are fighting, you know, against uh, the flag and are, you know, supporting, they're getting rid of it, you know, really don't know uh, the history. And one of the things about the history is, and why it's so controversial, at least in my opinion, is that not, you know, 
what it stood for maybe even back then, but what the Confederate flag has stood for since then, at least, you know, in, you know, modern history where, you know, you have groups such as the KKK has adopted and, you know, white supremacist groups have adopted that. Of course, they adopted the swastika as well. Um, but they've, uh, you know, adopted that as their symbol or, or at least a part of their symbol and their flag. And I think that's what people have in their mind when they think they should ban these. And it's not even going to uh, the uh, the flag now. Now, I mean, now they're talking about, I know one of the things we'll maybe discuss later is Mitch McConnell's talking about in Kentucky removing statues uh, from the rotunda and putting it, he says, it belongs in a museum of the, uh, Confederate president, uh, who, to my understanding, was born uh, in Kentucky, and uh, moving it. And so I think it's just a lot, a lot of PC, and so it's going to be on the flag. It's like they totally want to wipe away that kind of history, uh, from my opinion, for political expediency. But let's go ahead and bring, uh, let's go ahead and bring uh, Cindy in and uh, see what her thoughts are on this. And she's from the state of the Florida, so uh, she's pretty close to uh, South Carolina as well. Thank you very much, Cindy, for coming to the show. How are you? Well, I'm fine. Um, a little peeved, but I'm fine. <laughs> I just can't believe that you know the the left and you know people supporting the left in our party are just surprising <laughs> yeah. the heck out. Well, no, I'm not really surprised. I, what I'm doing is trying to figure out about the timing. Why is this happening now? And and I look. Hang on, hang on. Okay, I had just gotten on the thing and forgot to turn my sound off. Anyway, <laughs> I'm looking at the timing. I'm looking at the timing. I'm wondering. Okay, what does this have to do with anything, right? Well, if you look down there at the amount of governors that are now running for president in the South, you know, Southern governor, governors running for president. Um, Jeb Bush. Yeah, these these are people that, um, you know, you got um, Graham there in, in South Carolina, you got Jindal, you got um, Ted Cruz, and um, um, what's his name, <laughs> their last governor, um, so so we have a lot of people in the race that come from the South that have really good chances to to go somewhere, the presidential election. Mm-hmm. And they happen to be very conservative, except for uh, Graham. You have to say they're pretty conservative. Now, in Bush, Jeb. Yeah. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. It's a way to make them all weigh in. Um, and it's mm-hmm. a way to make them all look like it's baiting. It's race baiting. This is this is you looking like a racist. Um, but Nikki Haley, a Republican, like, started it. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, now I was list- I had a lot of driving around to do today, and I was listening on the radio a little bit. And um, Hannity had Hannity had some guy on there, and and Hannity was had done some homework on it and found out that the person who actually started flying that song, you know, it had been down off the Capitol building for many, many years. And the one that started flying it 
rose it for the first time was a Democrat. And it was in 1960, I believe he said it was, or somewhere thereabouts. It was in the 60s. And I'm looking at, okay, what was going on in the 60s that would make this guy want to all of a sudden stick the flag up there? Well, we had the uh, Martin Luther King and the, the, you know, the Jim Crow laws coming under fire and the, the African-American community rising up against Jim Crow laws. And did you have a Democrat in there who put up the flag to sort of rub it in their faces um, that you didn't want them to have any uh, freedom and, and the same freedoms that, that you had? You know, what, what was the purpose of that um, Democrat raising that flag? And then you go down the line, and in 1990s somewhere, a Republican governor took the flag down and lost his next election. And, you know, whether it was absolutely because of that, I don't know, but sounds plausible. Um, so that flag has become very political. It's a shame because the common folk that run around with that flag on their pickup truck, on the hood of their car, um, on their shirt, or wherever they have the flag, it has come to mean to them that they're country folk, that they're southern, and they like their southern heritage. It has come to mean a cultural way of life. And these are all the same things that the southern population, that was important to the southern population before the Civil War. As as um, Joe was just saying, they were fighting for more than... Uh, to, to keep slavery, they wanted to keep their southern roots, their southern pride, their their culture, and and uh, they wanted to keep their states' rights because that was a very important issue back then. Um, and another thing that was mentioned on the radio today was at the Civil War was probably where we parted company with states' rights being the supreme. Uh, law over the federal government. So when we lost states' rights at that point, at that, uh, it, it was in the Constitution that we were allowed to secede from the Union. There was a process by which you could mm-hmm. secede from the Union legally. Now, of course, there's not. But um, that's kind of where we have gotten to today where the South is being um, uh, suppressed again. And and it's mostly the South, Southern states that are conservative. Um, You know, it's funny how... Good point. They've always been blue states. They've always been Democrats uh, in the South, at least after Reconstruction. During Reconstruction, you had a lot of black people who actually made it into Congress and... uh, they were Republicans, but after Reconstruction was done, um, and the Repu- the uh, Democrat Party pretty much got its power back, uh, government was turned over to them for quite a few years. 
And slowly but surely, Republicans have been making headway uh, in the South to where now um, most Southern states are considered either red or purple. And um, and I think this is upsetting the, uh, the North. I, I think they don't they have lost their Democrat foothold in the South. Um, and this is one of their weapons against us here in the South to um, bring us under subjection again, a subjugation again, um, to paint us as racist so that people will look at our presidential candidates as someone who's not um, viable. But here's the thing. <laughs> Much to my um, sadness, most of those governors have been talking about taking the either talking about taking the flag down or they already have. And mm-hmm. you would think that that would have silenced the left after those governors did that, and yet they just amped up and and ramped up their uh, their their fight, took it to another level. Like Legacy, you know, bam, they took it to another level, and uh, now it's statues. Um, okay, let's see what could what could come next. How about Secession Lake? How about roads like um, General Lee Road, or or what about the cities? Oh, that's you know? it's oh yeah, it's it's starting. This kind of things. Are, and, I mean, that's already starting. I'm, they're, they're already there's already talk about that. I've been, you know, I've been seeing on them, uh, yeah, wanting to rename uh, monuments and things of that nature. Now, I even heard that uh, Mattel or someone like that is talking about taking the Confederate flag and renaming the General Lee from Dukes of Hazard. I mean, that's crazy. Right. Well, well, and and the the um, the people who have the Hollywood who has the rights to the General Lee uh, memorabilia and uh, you know things you can buy that have General Lee on them or the flag on them, they have uh, decided not to sell those things anymore. And I'm thinking, okay, are they going to stop showing the program? And what are they going to replace it with? Something stupid? Like... Um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, like Modern America or Modern Family or something like that? Yeah. Or, or, or that other Southern show. What's it called? Um, gosh, it's so stupid. I don't even want to... I've never even watched it. it was, I've seen uh, commercials for it, you know. Anyway, so and what are they going to do? They're going to take they're going to take that flag out what of their head. Is it saving huh? Chrisley? No, I couldn't hear you. Is it saving Chrisley, Cindy? That Southern show, you no. know, celebrity family, no. and that? no, not that you know. No, it's not that one. Oh, Party Down South. That's Party what it is. Down South. Party Down. Oh, jeez, yeah. So, I mean, they portray us. Uh, Make South people look like idiots, don't it? Yeah, and that's see, that's what they're trying to do to us so that we lose our credibility, our viability, our power. Um, we're just gro- conservatives from the South are growing much too powerful and strong. We're having much too much of a voice. We actually can get things done in our government. And, um, of course, uh, you know, McConnell and Boehner and all them, they can't stand it that the conservative states are putting pressure on them and making them um, be more conservative than they want to or you know, we're giving, we're keeping them uh, accountable for the things that they're just uh, helping Obama to do. But anyway, you know, you're going to take the flag out of a textbook, and no textbook is allowed to 
to to show the Confederate flag now, kind of like you know you can't have the N word anywhere. Um, President Obama can't even get away with saying well, the N word. In some places, it, it, well, in some places you can't even say black anymore. There was somebody I know today right. I was talking to, yeah. and you know someone said, "Oh, so where's the schedule at?" And she said, uh, "Oh, well, this you know this you know little black girl, or you know she was younger, probably in her twenties. You know this young black girl, uh, you know took it somewhere or whatever." And then uh, I guess she didn't see him, but there was there was black lady in the in the store, a customer. You know, this person worked at the store, and you know this person uh, was a customer. She goes, "You can't say that." And <laughs> she goes, she goes "I'm being nice." Yeah, she goes, she, she says, "You can't say that," and I'm being nice, or I can report you. And you know, she's like, "What did I say? Yeah. She, what did I say wrong?" And she wouldn't tell us. She goes, "I'm just being nice." But you know, and she's like, "Look, if I said something to offend you, I'm sorry." You know, but the late what the lady, at least what I'm alluding to, is that she referred to that girl as a black girl. It's like, well, what? The, I mean, when did that word? To just, I mean, you hear you know black people say white people all the time. I mean, are people going to start getting in trouble yeah. at work, or black people at work going to start getting in trouble for calling me a white guy? I mean, really? Yeah. Well, we know that's not going to be true. That's not going to happen yeah. because that doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, it makes me furious because I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. When is it that people could get, you know, and then nothing came of it? I mean, the person's boss did talk to him and say, well, you got to be careful, you know, with how you talk to people. And, and he was, you know, black himself. You know, but he didn't give her well, a hard time. But I'm thinking, yeah. when, when, did it become, when did it become, you know, a, a something you could get in trouble for at work by calling a black person a black person? Go ahead, Sophie. Okay, so what if you see a crime and, and you have to describe the person? You're white guy. Yeah, that's you're what white she guy, said. and you see a black guy. You see a black guy commit a crime. So you're going to say, "Well, it was this black guy." Well, then what about the black guy? If he sees a crime that the white guy committed, is he allowed to say, "Well, it was some white guy"? I mean, you, you well, have yeah. to be able to well, describe well, the person that you saw commit the crime. But the black guy will get away with saying it was a white guy. But the white guy won't get away with saying it's a black guy. Right, you got to call him African-American or something like that. But here's the thing. How many times have you heard, uh, you know, a black person call a white person, oh, well, that Caucasian, that Caucasian person I know, <laughs> or, right. or that Caucasian yeah. person or that Caucasian girl or guy, you know, took the schedule yeah. somewhere. I mean, do you that, ever hear him say that? Guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous. And, and, you know, what no. about all the other flags that do actually represent uh, racism? What about the ISIS flags and all the other Muslim sim- symbols that you see around here? What about the Mexican flags that people that people have been putting up? And you know what those are about. And and they 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 those people and those Muslims are racist against us. We're we're in according to them and according to the Quran, we are inferior. They're they're just tolerate. They will just tolerate us. If we convert, but we're still, even if we convert, we're not on equal standing. And the funny thing is, this is this is something that I learned back when I was doing that research for my daughter for that paper on black education in America after the Civil War. And um, what I found was that the, infil- the evolutionists had so infiltrated the school system, um, and then they started, the reason that they, they, they kept black people from uh, getting educated in the same classrooms as white people was because they considered them lower on the evolutionary chain. 
um, they have traditionally put forth the theory that um, the darker the skin, the farther behind on the evolutionary uh, chain you are or the evolutionary pro- process. So so what they were saying was you can't put a black boy in the class with a white boy and expect him to learn at the same uh, same speed and level. Well, you know that all through the all through, you know, the history of our nation, that has been proven wrong over and over and over again. <laughs> I mean, just mm-hmm. look at Dr. Ben Carson, right? <laughs> so that that was a stupid idea, and yet that was prevalent back then. And um, it's one thing that um, lent uh, to the the continuation of the Jim Crow laws, and there's just been so many things that actually racist did happen. Um, that to to say that this flag had anything to do with it is absolutely <laughs> ludicrous, and and it has nothing to do with slavery. Uh, and and the only reason it might possibly have something to do with um, the subjugation of black people is in the case of a Democrat who hung that flag out at a time when black people were trying to, you know, maintain their rights and be equal on equal footing with us. So, um, you know, we have gone, and, and here's the thing, we have gone so far, we have come so far from those times, from 1960. It's it's almost ridiculous to think that all these black leaders can come up and keep accusing us of racism as a whole, as a group, as a region, the South. Now, of course, you've got racists. You've got racists here. You've got racists up in the North. You have racists out West. Racists are racists, and, 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 it, and it works both ways. There are black racists, there are white racists, there are Mexican racists, there are Chinese racists. There is every kind of racist out well, there. It's Muslim racist. Well, and, and, and Harriet makes a, a note in uh, the chat, you know, she says, uh, you know, not long ago, uh, it says, when the Chinese met at the White House and gave a speech in Congress, uh, the Chinese flag was hung outside the White House. Uh, it seems the uh, issue surrounding the flag amounts to other countries and cultures should never uh, have the right to give orders on taking down the flag. It is that a continued plan to further take our country. Uh, what's next? And I think we alluded to that earlier in the conversation. It's like, you know, first, you know, they're going to ban the Confederate flag because all the supposed, well, not just supposed, but some supposed that some genuine, um, you know, things that's happened under the flag. But what are they going to do? What's what's going to be next? Uh, the American flag going to be, you know, we always can't fly the American flag now uh, because all the so-called, you know, the atrocities, whatever, the, you know, they said it's thought the leftists are saying that the United States has caused. I mean, and, well, and that's like me, you know, I'm Irish. I mean, I'm Irish. There are schools out west. There are schools out west. What's that? You know, uh, on did you hear that? Out west, there's places, you know, where there's a large Mexican population in the schools that the kids, the the, the American kids are not allowed to wear a, an American flag on their shirt because it offends the Mexican Yeah, and as I was saying, you know, and then that's like they said, well, you know what, uh, you know, all the for hundreds of hundreds of years, uh, the, the English uh, – 
repression of Ireland, you know, and the Irish. I mean, what they did there, uh, you know, I mean, that's for me to go say, well, you can't fly in, a, a, you know, you can't fly in an English flag or a flag of England or Great Britain because that offends me. You need to take that flag down. You know, I mean, that's that's like me saying, you know, you know, me saying that. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, we've we've got some big problems in this country right now because there's some very di- diabolical people playing mind games and uh, with our American people, and they're manipulating um, uh, things and uh, manipulating people to get uh, a political agenda agenda um, put forth. It's all about their political agenda. This whole flag thing has nothing to do with racism or or slavery or anything. They have not brought it up because we are having problems with racism. It's what um was it Rahm Emanuel that said never never let a good crisis Never let a go crisis go. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here we are with this nice little shooting of this guy who um claimed uh his friends claim that he is a, a racist and um was planning on doing something against black people. But I'm wondering, okay, well if he just wanted to kill black people, why did he go to a church? Is it because they're sitting ducks there or is it because they're Christians? Well and to my understanding really well, well, well through my understanding and, and Joe correct me if I'm wrong, um is that the one saying, and it was a predominantly black church that he went to, which in my opinion, and believe me, it was horrible. I mean, I'm not defending anything or anybody or, but I'm saying is I would think there was something would have been seemed amiss uh, at the beginning because through my understanding it was a predominantly black church. And here's this white kid in there. Um, obviously didn't, you know, through my understanding, obviously didn't fit in. I mean, if that would, I would think would have raised flags. And I still Absolutely. think that, uh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. No, no, no. Well, no, I was just uh, saying, if, if one of those parishioners had a gun, maybe they could have stopped, you know, and saved, you know, some of their lives. Go ahead, Joe. No, actually, um, they were actually red flags even before he premeditated this incident. Uh, he had mentioned, the FBI released reports that uh, he had mentioned that he was planning on doing something of this nature. He was putting, uh, you know, posts on Facebook stating that he was premeditating this type of uh, act. Um, His parents knew that he suffered from um, mental uh, problems. And uh, so there were a lot of red flags even prior to this happening, which were ignored. And if we see, this is actually a common pattern Dating back from 2011 with the shooting in Aurora, Colorado, uh, a lot of these cases, the shooting at Fort Hood back in 2007, uh, there are a lot of patterns here where there was a lot of flags that were raised, but they were ignored prior to this even happening. And I just don't understand the common sense in that. In the case in Aurora, Colorado, the the, the uh, defendant actually stated to his psychiatrist months before that he was going to go into a movie theater and shoot people. And as part of taking the Hippocratic Oath, especially as a psychiatrist, if a patient is going to tell your psychiatrist or forewarn a psychiatrist that he plans to do bodily harm 
to himself or herself or others, by law, that's where the confidentiality between the patient and the doctor ends there, and the doctor has a legal duty to report it to the law. Did she report it? She didn't. And so I think people are looking at the wrong factors here, and, of course, the media is quick to judge um, the cases as if they were the judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, But um, the fact is that despite this horrific shooting that occurred in South Carolina, uh, more than ever it has brought the community between African Americans and and, um, uh, Caucasians or whites or I I don't even know what word to use anymore. Geez, you know, like you were alluding (laughs) to before, Robert, is it even safe to say white anymore? But anyways, uh, the community has come together, you know, um, more than ever. Uh, you know, there was a, a vigil uh, this past Sunday night, and it was just amazing to see that one African-American said, this is not about race. This is about a horrific tragedy that occurred, and this is about our community coming together to mourn the, the victims of this tragedy. And I'm thinking... That's the right mindset. And even one African-American uh, other person said, you know, put our differences aside and let's focus on the tragedy here and let's not turn this into a racial issue, which it, it should not. And that, wow, that was, that hit right key. You know, it struck a chord with me. And I'm thinking if more people had that mindset, that open-minded mindset, you know, our country would not be so racially divided. And, you know, truth be told, we've made great progress and strides since the, since the civil rights movements of the 1950s and the 1960s. Uh, we've come a long way. Uh, you know, is the system perfect? No, but, but we've come a long way. And truth be told, you know, over the past, Seven years is is when racial tensions started to uh, flare up, you know, uh, and that's the sad part, really. Yes, yes, uh, yes, definitely, Cindy. I mean, you know, in the 1990s and the 80s, you know, racial tensions, they they were improving in the 70s. You know, they were drastically improving. And what I'm disappointed in, and I'm not trying to politicize this in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, to be honest, Uh, When Obama was elected, and I wasn't happy that he was elected because I felt he didn't have the experience, I said, you know what, nonetheless, I want him to do well because as a true American patriot, you would want anyone who's elected president with the hopes of doing well. Even though his views may differ from yours, if you're a true American patriot, you're not going to wish that person failure, because that means that if that person fails, the country fails. So even though I wasn't happy that he was elected, I had the high hopes that he would follow through his campaign promises of when he stated there's not going to be any red states or blue states, there's going to be the United States of America, and that we're going to become more united than ever. And I was clinging on to that hope. And instead... He's divided us more than ever, more than ever in our oh, and, and more years. and more than just racial lines. Go ahead. Oh yes, no, I agree on almost every aspect and level. 
he has divided us to the point that I think that we are the most divided nation in our 229 years of history. I mean, literally, we are at our throats, and it's sad, but that is that is the current state of affairs. And truth be told, this flag issue, shame on anyone who is even bringing up this flag issue, because you know what? It is just a tactic to divert away from the real issues. And when I actually heard about this this week, I was actually saying to myself, really, really? Is this the desperate lows that the Democratic Party of of this era is going to stoop to, to divert attention away from the issues when our country is on the fiscal brink of bankruptcy, when we are facing domestic and foreign threat uh, beyond our realm, when we have stagnant wages, the lower lowest participation uh, uh, force in 40 years? And we're talking about this? This is a flag that has been in tradition for 154 years, and now it's brought up? It is just so ridiculous. I mean, we have real issues going on, and the liberals, they want to debate about the flag. Every week they bring up some different issue that has no importance to deflect away from the real issues because at the end of the day, we're not talking about the Democratic Party of the 90s that were successful. You know, whether you agree with their principles or not, at the end of the day, the Democratic Party of the 90s had a booming economy. We were pre-9-11. We didn't face any, any serious, uh, you know, foreign threats. The Democratic Party actually had a record to tout. Now that the Democratic Party has a record to run away from, they want to bring up issues to only deflect and pit conservatives against conservatives. And it is ridiculous. I mean, it's like, come on, I can't wait till the first debate in August 6th when someone actually really comes and debates mm-hmm. the real issues. I mean, this is just unbelievable. It's sad. And at the end of the day, you know what I say? Make it a referendum like they did with the uh, recreational use of marijuana back in 2012 in the state of Colorado and Washington, make it a referendum. Give the choice to the people of these states. So at the end of the day, the record books can say it wasn't the federal government that mandated them to take that flag down. It wasn't the state government that mandated them to take that flag down. It was the people of these states, of these southern roots, that decided by their free will and had the free choice to vote in a referendum and decide to say whether they want to continue that 154-year tradition of that flag and what they and you know what else they could for, do? or whether they want to take it down. You know what else they could do, Joe, that would help uh, a lot? Is to um, uh, form a resolution in each uh, house of those southern states that want to fly that flag that actually states what the flag means to them. And and just make it clear and obvious to anyone who wants to know what that's that what that flag means. Um, it's been so uh, highly misrepresented that they need to just uh, clarify exactly what it is, the, exactly w- what the reason is for their flying it, um, and and put it out there for everybody to see. And then uh, if they want to, and, and if they want to go, uh, you know, put it down, 
fine. That's up to them. But, uh, you know, here's the truth. You can make out of it whatever you want. Um, sure. But then they will be obviously creating trouble where no trouble uh, it belongs. Now, let me, let me right. can I put, can I um, mention something else that Angela did or, or did you have more to say, hon? Uh, no, I just wanted well, to bring we, up one one more point that Robert was was uh, bringing up at the beginning of the show, and how he was saying that the KKK used that flag as a symbol. Yes, maybe they did, but uh, are people forgetting our American history? It was the Progressive Party in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s who supported segregation. They, the mm-hmm. Progressive yep. Party, are the ones that supported segregation. So it's fair game to say if they want to claim that the Confederate flag is a symbol of hatred because the KKK decided to use that flag as a symbol of hatred, then it's fair game to say so were the progressives who were governing these very same southern states who were for segregation, who supported yep. legislation for segregation. If people forget, in Birmingham, Alabama... It was the Republican presidency, Eisenhower, who had to call in the National Guard against the progressives who were in, in running, um, uh, you know, Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. May I remind the public progressives who did not want to let the, the, the African-American students enter in the high school when they desegregated the South. Yep. You know, one is important issue that- uh, right, and uh, well, I'm going to bring Ed in shortly because uh, he's waiting to chime in. Uh, but one of those issues that you're talking about uh, that's more important that you know we you know we as a nation should be talking more about than the flag. And you know I think uh, the reason we're talking about the flag tonight is I think it's uh, because there is more to it than just uh, about you know what's going on uh, with uh, between the races now and all the as you point out all the division. Uh, but also you know what's more is what they're trying to do. Uh, perhaps later on about with uh, our own American flag. Uh, but one thing uh, that we should be talking about is that fast track deal uh, that Obama is uh, going through and how even House Speaker Boehner is warning conservatives that there's going to be punishment for those uh, who stray uh, from voting and, and supporting that. And here he's supposed to be, you know, the, the, they're supposed to be the opposition party and I don't see the leadership of the opposition party uh, keeping Obama from gaining more power. And so uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk more about this. We've got plenty of time. But first, let's go ahead and uh, bring Ed in. Thank you very much, Ed, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, that's a great point, because the Republicans are the same as the Democrats. O'Banner Jr. approved it. He's actually worse than Obama. The reason O'Banner Jr. is worse than Obama is because Obama tells us he's, he's for uh, Marxism and progressivism. O'Banner Jr. says, oh, I'm a conservative, but he marches right along with O'Banner Jr., and he hasn't, you know, he promised to try to stop O'Banner Care, I mean Obamacare, but O'Banner, I love that. we might have to call O'Banner Jr. because the Republicans are worse than the Democrats. And here's another proof. Let's go back to Strom Thurmond, who came from South Carolina, where all this controversy is. He was actually a Democrat and put out the most racist, disgusting things, but then you know what? He, he found that his, his racism wasn't work with the Democrat Party as much, so he went to become a Republican, and the Republicans accepted him. And Trent Locke got in trouble for backing him at his party. He, he, he was there until he was 190-something years old. This is ridiculous. The Republicans accepted this racist and put him on, and then had Trent Locke 
deface themselves, but it really don't matter because Republicans and Democrats are are the same. And and the sooner Americans wake up and say these are both evil, then we're all right. But they are both evil. They are both Marxist, and they don't care about liberty and founding of what, what we wanted. We want a limited government and a bill of rights. But what we get from a Boehner Jr. ain't limited government and a bill of rights. We're getting maximum government, and we're getting Marxism. We're getting the IRS. We're getting the DEA. And we're getting more and more government. The Republicans are worse than the Democrats because they lie and say they're conservative conservatives, and then do the work of the Democrats. Get that Republican needle out of your arm now. It's full of Democratic juice. It's full of progressivism and Marxism. Please pull that needle out of your arm, you Republicans. Thank you. <laughs> You're right on. You're dead right on, kiddo. Well, Thanks. can I just can I bring up this um, article that Angela um, shared? There's a a New York Post, an online New York Post article, and now they have they have clobbered. They're they're here clobbering "Gone with the Wind," Um, and and I I want to say I want to read what exactly what he said because it's this viewpoint is insipid. All right, true, uh, quote, true, "Gone with the Wind." isn't as blatantly and virulently racist as D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, which was considered one of the greatest American movies as late as early 1960s, but is now rarely seen even in museums. The more subtle racism of Gone with the Wind is in some ways more insidious, going to great lengths to enshrine the myth that the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery, an institution the film unabashedly romanticizes. When I reviewed the graphically honest 12 Years a Slave in 2013, I noted it will be impossible to ever look at Gone with the Wind the same way. And it goes on and on. And so the thing I I can see here is that um, we're going to have a whole slew of movies, articles, statues, um, uh, TV shows. And, and real quick, and real, real quick, uh, real quick, because I forget to do this program note sometimes, Cindy, and I'm not going to do it uh, again. And for those of uh, you who are new to the show, and uh, Annette, I think you, you may already know this, but just in case you don't, is uh, when someone calls into the show, uh, of course, you know, we give them an opportunity to come in and talk with the panelists and when we have guests, uh, talk with them as well. Uh, but un- unlike uh, a lot of the talk shows, uh, at least the radio ones, where you call in, you say your five, ten minutes, and then, you know, we say, you know, goodnight, thanks for coming to the show, goodbye, listen to the rest of the show, you know, on the radio. Here you get, uh, once you're in the show, if you like, you could stay on. Uh, we try to bring it back to the, everyone as equally as possible uh, in our roundtable discussion. So, of course, Ed, you are welcome to stay on. Uh, for the remainder of our discussion in the show, and for anyone else who comes on. And, of course, you're welcome to do the same. So once you're on the show, if you'd like to stay, of course, you're more than welcome uh, to do that and uh, remain as part of our uh, show and our roundtable discussion. Go ahead, Cindy. Well, so let's just talk about why why we're being diverted uh, right now by this silly issue. Um as as you noted earlier, the TPP is a much more important uh, 
interesting that, in fact, what has been going around lately about the TPP is even more um, scary than what we originally thought. And yet, guess what happened yesterday while everyone was talking about the flag? The Senate voted to pass it again for the second time. So now, I guess it goes back to the House again. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure what happens next, but it's looking like our Republican-dominated Congress is going to give the president the ability to fill in the blanks, to fill in the blanks on a treaty all by himself, and he can just write whatever he wants to write in this treaty, because um, it is not finished. It is not. It is a. It's an ongoing. Uh, open document, and he is allowed to put into it whatever he wants. And guess what? Fast track means Congress cannot go back and stop him, change anything that he does, amend anything that he does. Nothing can be done about it. Um, Now, if the people of the United States can't figure out how dangerous this is these last few days, uh, how dangerous this matter is, then we are definitely up the creek without a paddle because there's no coming back from this. They are going to seal this deal so tight that that nobody's going to be able to change it. It's like after the communist revolution uh, when they had so sufficiently run that country into the ground, ruined its agriculture, ruined its finances, its economy. Uh, millions of people died, um, and yet, and and so there was no coming back to any kind of a freedom, any kind of a uh, an economic uh, turnaround. It, there was just no, it was so far back, backwards, that there was no going forward anymore. And I'm afraid that they're doing the same thing here without having to fire a shot. Everything that they're doing is by political means, and they're getting us to a place where there is no return. We will be so fully financially crushed um, and uh, morally crushed, culturally crushed, um, that we will not Which I recover. think that's what they got to do first. Go ahead. Yeah, because that we won't recover from it. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, and I agree with that, especially the last statement. I mean, I think they have to crush the American culture first. That's why I think uh, one of the ways we're trying to do that is by drawing in and expanding multiculturalism uh, because, uh, as Pat Buchanan said in his book, Death of the West, is that you look at any uh, great uh, country and, and sometimes even use the term empire, as once they uh, became under the sway of multiculturalism, they lost their identity as a nation. And, of course, uh, the nation starts to uh, separate and decay after that. I think that's exactly what they're doing. I think that's one of the reasons they're uh, letting so many illegal immigrations in, immigrants in, waving their Mexican flags and things of that nature, um, just being taken over. And so what are your thoughts on what uh, – Cindy, and then perhaps Mike, and that's where Joe, and then we'll bring it back to you, Ed. Joe, go ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, on the trade deal, 
unfortunately, uh, nothing can be done um, procedurally. The vote was 60 to 37, passed on Tuesday. So, you know, big victory for the president's uh, trade deal. Uh, once it goes to the Senate as a clean, uh, as a CR, it's passed over. I mean, once it goes to the House, it goes to the Senate. And the final vote is uh, determined in the Senate. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, um, it, passed. it passed. Yes, definitely yep. it passed. Um, you know, the, the TPA, uh, which is the acronym for the bill, um, in Congress, the Congress or the House of Representatives, they were they were against it. But uh, unfortunately, in the Senate, uh, the Republicans were not on the same page as they were with the Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives. And amazingly, which was kind of very surprising, the majority of the Democrats in the House of Representatives also opposed this bill. And that was kind of the first time that the Democratic uh, Base the constituents in Washington actually stood up against uh, Obama for the first time in six years in this dramatic fashion. Uh, there was 15 pro-trade Democrats who actually supported the first version of a fast-track bill. Uh, and basically what TPA stands for is Trade Promotion Authority. And the mm-hmm. way it was packaged, it was packaged with a bill that, that actually provides retraining and other assistance to workers who loses their jobs because of large international trade agreement. That bill is also called the Trade Adjustment Authority. And unfortunately, with the passage of fast-track authority and the workers' assistant bills, it allows the president to complete a giant, a mega-giant trans-Pacific partnership trade deal, which would tie the economies of not only the United States, but Canada and Mexico with several Asian and Pacific uh, nations. Such a deal would also give the U.S. increased influence in the region, uh, so they claim uh, coming from the White House. But all the way up until the final vote, truth be told, it was uncertain whether those Democrats would support the fast-track bill separately from the workers' assistance piece, as the new legislative strategy calls for. Uh, And um, they were worried about the assistance measure wouldn't get through the GOP-controlled Congress on its own. So basically, in, in essence, the Trade Adjustment Authority is generally supported by Democrats and definitely backed by major labor unions. And it is opposed by Republicans, so they say, but it wasn't opposed by, you know, Republicans were not on the same page in the Senate. Had they been, that bill would have not passed. Republicans are in the majority. Just to remind the American people in case they forgot about the historic uh, midterm elections that was supposed to change everything. Uh, a lot I of good dead Yeah. Exactly. I Stop remember Obama. Mitch McConnell, you know. They've been a rubber Mitch, stamp. Go ahead, Joe. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I, I remember Mitch McConnell's words as they were yesterday on, on November the 4th when he stated that today is a new era in America. And finally, we have taken control of both chambers and we will see vast change in America. And basically, <laughs> the only change I've seen yeah, is to ask Obama, when you say jump, how high? Yeah. <laughs> Where, when, and how. Yeah, and right. it is like, oh, my God, you know, the Republicans have to be the stupidest people, you know, strategically. What the heck are they thinking? Because, you know what, if they were smart, if they had any brains, any intellect left in them, you know, the, the Republican Party in, in both both majorities, you know what the smartest strategy would be? They would just actually put every single legislation – 
such as the Keystone Line on Obama's desk, let him in the public opinion, in the public, uh, in the court of public opinion, veto whatever bills he's going to veto, and that would sway public opinion even further against the Democratic Party because the public consensus is going to be, well, you know, the the the, uh, the Congress and the Senate. Although they have both majorities, the only way to override a veto is by the veto override measure, which will require 67 votes in the Senate, two-thirds majority to override a veto. And the strategy would be let Obama veto every single piece of legislation that the Republicans are going to put forth. Let the, let the Democratic Party and Obama look like the imbeciles, and it would be a cakewalk. For any conservative running for the presidency, that's mm-hmm. all they have to do is they don't even have to mean it. They just have to put up a show, play a role like most politicians do. You know, most you politicians know what, uh, are not sincere, but play the role. They can't even do that much. But, they can't even do that. Well, you know what, real quick, uh, Andy, I know you want to make. Uh, I know you want to make comment on that, but I really do want to bring. Uh, Ed in, uh, Ed back in. So let's go ahead and bring it back okay. to you, Ed, and then we'll uh, bring it back in, Cindy. Thanks, Cindy. Go ahead, Ed. Hey, uh, Birth of a Nation, I watched it quite a few times. So one of my favorite movies. It really does show the racism that what's going on in this country in, in 1915 when uh, Griffin wrote or put that, directed that movie. Uh, but I, I, one movie I liked even more that you said Gone with the Wind is Spike Lee's CSA, the Confederate States of America. And it was directed by Spike Lee. I kind of, you know, I've watched that a few times too. It's it's kind of neat to see coming from his perspective um, what he thought the Confederate States of America would be like if, if in fact the Confederate States had won that war. And it was kind of a neat thing. So I would suggest to watch that. Uh, getting back to the trade deals, I am an ardent anti-federalist, and an anti-federalist were the party that brought us the Bill of Rights. So as a Bill of Rights activist, I can see why the American people are pissed because this has nothing to do with our freedom. It has to do with the the wealth and, and mass manipulation of the uh, giant corporate globalists who want a new world order. And the only thing that's stopping them from their new world order is the Bill of Rights. Because the American people love and believe in the Bill of Rights. And I re- recommend to you as an anti-federalist, and as an ardent anti-federalist, that you study the Bill of Rights backwards and forward like I have. And you know what every one of those Ten Amendments mean, because that is where our liberty comes from. And as long as we got that shield in our hands, we have our freedom of conscience, at number one, and that's the First Amendment. And number two, we have the right to bear arms to protect our conscience. And number three, we don't have to quarter these government troops, NSA troops, in our computers or in our houses. And number four, we don't have to go with the illegal search and seizure. And number five, we have the due process of law, and we don't have to testify against ourselves. Number six, only we the people can put we the people in jail. Nobody in government can. So it's if we learn the siege of the fully informed jury association. And number seven, if we learn the uh, fact that we have a right, if we're frauded, that we can take it to a trial 
uh, $20 or more. Number eight, there's no cruel and unusual punishment for us Americans. We're all free and sovereign. We're not going to have that. We're going to have a trial by jury. And number nine, it's whatever was explicitly said in that Constitution. It's just not for us. We the people. And number ten, the state's rights are supreme. So whatever what state wants to do, fine. If they want to fly whatever flag they want to fly, let them fly. It's up to the people of the states and the states themselves to do it. But if not to me, this the best state would be the state that would not fly flags because then we'd be saving money and we'd limit government and we'll put more power into the people. And then the people could say, hey, we love our flag because we love our freedom and we're going to fly it. We don't need the state to fly for us. Yeah, definitely very well said. I, you know, gosh, you know, I, I agree with that. And, you know, it's always amazing me when uh, folks call into the show and, uh, you know, how knowledgeable and, and how passionate you guys are. It's really great uh, contribution uh, to the show. Thank you, Ed. Um, and so, of course, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, of course, you'll still stay on and we'll bring it back to you, Ed. So let's go ahead uh, back over to you, Cindy. Okay. Um, I kind of forgot what I was going to say back there, but that's okay. I, it, no, I, it sorry about that, but I did, well, I did want to be able to, you know, no, share things okay. around as you know. That's okay. I did remember something else I did want to say before, so I'll just do that instead. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, you guys have all seen um, the the movie. Um, oh, crap. <laughs> I forgot the name of the movie. No, I've never seen that movie, Cindy. No, you haven't. <laughs> you didn't want to see oh, crap? <laughs> Oh, the Russian one. Never seen it. The Russian one. Um, Russian one. Um, I don't know why I heard that horrible reviews. Okay, what's what's the Russian movie? The 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 famous Russian movie back in the early 70s. It came out. Um, the song. Um, hmm. Do you remember what actor or actress was in it? You know oh, that gosh, one. gosh, really? I Wait, don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. I didn't know. Was no, it just... a Russian or Russian-American movie? It was a Russian. Well, we we made it. The it, was about the, it was about the revolution in Russian, Russia and um, uh, Dr. Zhivago. That's what it was. Dr. Zhivago. And did, I don't know if y'all, y'all oh, might wow. be. I know Ed probably remembers, but y'all might be too young to remember Dr. Zhivago. There was a scene in Dr. Zhivago where um, Zhivago and his wife and uh, his father-in-law, they all return back to Moscow and go back to um, the father-in-law's home. Now, the father-in-law was what, you know, the, the bourgeoisie. You know, he was a middle-class, upper-middle-class guy who actually had a really nice house. Um, uh, you might, might call it a I man. I think I might have seen this in college, but go ahead. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, so they come back, and, and they they have, they have realize that the the red government has taken control of their home, and now Yeah, and made a much larger live there, right? Yeah, they're allowing all the peasants to come and live in um, in his home, and now he has to share his house with all the peasants. And uh, and so what happened was, um, uh, that's what was going on all over Russia. The middle class was getting their homes taken from them, 
and they were turning them into apartments. Now, did they, did those, uh, did the rabble, um, the lower class peasant, peasant people, did they come in and take good care of the house and enjoy this beautiful surroundings that they are now in? No. They they ransacked the places. They they totally just annihilated them. I mean, they were they were hardly suitable for living in after they got finished with them. And the conditions were were very bad because there was too many people stacked into one place. So and you know, mm-hmm. it, this is Bathrooms the way. Right, and this is what happens. And once that um, middle class was gone, and the ra- the rabble was all celebrating, you know, oh now we get to live in these nice houses. Uh, but the problem is they turn those houses into nasty houses. They're back living in the same conditions that they were living in before they entered the nice, beautiful, big house. And not only that, but they thought, the, yeah, they thought they were bringing themselves up, you know, in the world. They thought they were going up in their income level, their comfort level, their living conditions. And what they actually did was just bring a lot of people down to their level, and nobody uh, any longer, everybody just became rabble. You know, there's there's nobody living in decent conditions. Um, I have friends from over there, and uh, there's 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 no <laughs> there's there's no wonderful living conditions for the normal people that live in Russia. Uh, the only people that in in Russia that live high on the hog. Uh, are those top echelon elite elitists that are running the whole shebang? They're the ones that have all the money, and of course they allow the um, the people who control things like oil and gas and um, electric companies, phone companies, uh, some of the bigger companies that the government controls, but they are allowed to uh, you know they have these men that are allowed to do the running of the companies and as long as they do their bidding as long as they do the the bidding of the communist government they get to keep large portions of their money so we expand out the um the um the 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 handouts or the the richness the the money it it uh, expands out to include now the elitists and the top of the government and now it includes the elitists in the industrial world. Okay, well, that's exactly what will happen here. Uh, and they're they're saying that you know just you know with the the redistribution of wealth, taking wealth out of the middle class or out of the rich, the pockets of the rich, and giving it to the poor, is going to help the poor come up, right? And the rich are still going to stay rich. They're just going to be, um, you know, they're just going to be more uh, generous rich. Well, that isn't the way it's going to work. The, once once the money is emptied out of the middle class, um, everybody's poor, and, and you're still going to have the rich industrialists and the rich elitists. And then there's the poor people down at the bottom. Um and they get uh, they get nothing, and there's no middle class or a very small middle class. But you can't convince anybody. Like you get on the Facebook, and you go to these liberal uh, Facebook pages, you cannot convince any of them that that's what's going to happen. Oh, I'm just a negative a pessimist, and 
oh, I'm, I'm just a, a, a conspiracy theorist and blah, blah, blah. They have no idea. They have been dumbbound so badly in school. They have no concept of the history of these communist nations. They have no idea what actually went goes on in a communist nation. Um, and yet they think they know it all uh, because they listen to a few Democrats on the television or on the radio. Uh, it's sickening, and it's ruining our country because people are so stupid. Um, you would think that it, we could, even if we weren't educated, we'd have the common sense to realize that that, got, that kind of system just does not work. But, nope. <laughs> That's my two cents. All right. Well, let's go ahead and bring it back over to you, Joe, and then uh, we'll bring it back to Ed, and I think we got a, another caller coming in. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, bring it to you, Joe, then Ed, and then uh, by then we'll have uh, bring it to our, our new caller. Go ahead, uh, Joe. Sure. Well, my position dating back to the subject we're all talking about is the uh, what the Confederate flag stands for. If people really, truly want to know the truth, I challenge them academically. I challenge them to study history, study the entire history of the Civil War. Do not pontificate. You know, if you're going to talk about an issue, know both sides of the coin. I hate the double standard when people just, you know, uh, profess or they assert or they defend one side of the story. If you're truly going to debate an issue or, or, you know, study history or debate something that happened in our, in our, in our country's history, know the entire equation. You know, and it's like, you know, the truth is there if people want to, you know, seek and you shall find. But it's so easy for someone to turn the blind cheek. The easiest thing to do is to turn the blind cheek and to refute the truth. To distort the truth is the easiest thing to do. But no matter how much you try to distort or negate the truth, you can't destroy the truth. You can never destroy the truth as much as you want to. And if people really want to go back and study the Civil War, truth be told, also the North was not just fighting to abolish slavery. They were fighting also for other reasons such as they did not want the secession of the South because they knew that if the South seceded, that their nation would, you know, America would be greatly diminished. So at the same time, Mm -hmm. people have this misconception, this stigma, this stereotype that the Southerners fought to keep slavery and the Northerners fought to abolish slavery. No. Yes, that was part of it. But there's a lot more to that. And by the way, if you really want to know who the liberators are, if you want to thank him, you may want to thank the thousands and thousands of white American soldiers, Union soldiers, and a white president, Abraham Lincoln, who fought to stop the South from seceding and successfully did so, and to successfully abolish slavery. So when they say that uh, the white man is the evil person, it's so hypocritical because, A, they were the liberators of the African-American slave trade, and, B, I also hear race baiters like Al Sharpton saying how we are a horrible nation because we have a dark past because of slavery. Well, let me enlighten some people. Who doesn't? Slavery <laughs> can be traced back to the earliest records dating back from 1760 B.C. 
Yes, slavery started all the way back then. And then into the 1500s, slavery was adopted by many European nations. Slavery did not start in the, in, in the American colonies as some race baiters would make, you, would make you want to believe so. So they basically want to erase thousands of years of history and make it seem as if though we, when we became a free sovereign nation, when we won the uh, Revolutionary War, we were the ones who invented the slave trade. Uh, I hate to break it to people, but you may want to study yeah, the history a little bit more in debt. Slavery has been tra- has spans nearly every in every culture, in every nationality, in every religion, and from ancient times to present day. So, at the end of the day, Robert, if people truly want to seek the truth, seek and you shall find. If they want to turn the blind cheek, well and let them do so, it, 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 it's their free will. But at the end of the day, you may try to distort the truth. I will emphasize it once more. You may try to misconstrue the truth. You may try to negate the truth, but no matter how much you try, you can never destroy the truth. Very well said, uh, Joe. And, yeah, I mean, I mean, even look back at the Egyptians, uh, you know, with the, with the Jews, so... Uh, that definitely goes back, you know, as you said, thousands of years. So we're going to go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, Ed, and then uh, we have Rocco on the line. Uh, we'll be letting you in uh, soon, Rocco, after Ed. Uh, so, Ed, you got any comments, and then we'll bring it over to our uh, new caller. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, slavery has been around mankind for all its history. There's slavery in the world today. Those 300 girls that got kidnapped in Africa, I'm sure they're sex, sex slaves somewhere right now. Uh, it was Christianity mm-hmm. that did away with slavery, Wilberforce, and with the, uh, you know, the Second Great Awakening, First Great Awakening brought American liberty, Second Great Awakening started putting uh, more emphasis against uh, the, slave, the slavery that was going on in the U.S. And if we really want to get down to it, uh, let's go to Lincoln himself. Uh, a great book to read is The Real Lincoln. Lincoln himself was a racist, and Lincoln... Uh, didn't particularly care, you know, he, he was going to let slavery survive if the, you know, South might have reconsidered. But Lincoln, uh, went on, during his uh, debate with Douglas, said that he thought that the white race was superior to the black race. So, I mean, we need to actually point out, oh, this great guy, you worship Lincoln? Well, yeah, he was a racist, and he wanted to send him back to Africa. That's what he right, that's Lincoln what I was going to say, yeah. Wanted to send him back to Africa. He he didn't know what to do with the situation. And uh, myself, the, the Civil War was the greatest tragedy that have happened to America. I couldn't even imagine the amount of the suffering and the people lying in the fields bleeding to death and the and how they chopped off all their limbs and everything else that went on with this uh, the fact that what we had to face there. So I can understand how families after generations would want to remember that. But I don't really think it's a state's place to fly the flag. I think it's a people's place to fly it, and we're selling a lot more of it, right? You know, right now the the, uh, the Confederate flag is selling like crazy. And uh, Lincoln, uh, he, as much as he went, uh, you know, and tried to do things, he also forced that war on us. He should have tried more negotiation. Within 30 days of his being in office, he had us at war. He was raising troops. I think he he should have did a little more negotiation. 
he didn't try for the negotiation, and the whole country suffered because of it. And that's something that most people don't realize. But uh, I'm not a big Lincoln fan. I'm more into uh, peace, love, Edith Soybean, and crisis, the answer in the world. Yeah, I heard that too about uh, Lincoln wanting to send uh, send him back to Africa, and then I heard one. Uh, I think it was Rush. I hate I hate that I quoted Rush twice tonight. So I'll be honest, I'm really not a big <laughs> fan of him. I used to, but 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 not anymore. Um, <laughs> is when he said, you know, I mean, think of what the condition. And two things. One, and he didn't say this. He said the second. One is, uh, you know, they they weren't just taken, and in part that some of them were taken from Africa, but a lot of them uh, were sold. Uh, from their own, you know, by their own people uh, there in Africa, and, and can you imagine, uh, you know, their if they were if their ancestors were not brought back here, and imagine what the folks' lives would be like now if their folks weren't brought over here to America, and if they're still in Africa now, they probably wouldn't be as uh, even for the poorest of them as uh, affluent here uh, or there in Africa as they are now here in America, even if they're considered poor. Uh, but let's did go you ahead and uh, bring your next call. Wait, Robert, one more thing on that line. Did, did you know that the first plantation owners that that uh, the first plantation owners that brought in black slaves um, were, uh, you know, this is other than Indian slaves, which they had already been doing, but the first one to bring in black slaves was a black plantation owner. I learned that in, in New Orleans. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, as uh, Joe pointed out, uh, do the you know do the research, folks. Uh, learn, learn the history. And so let's go ahead and bring in uh, Rocco. Thank you very much, Rocco, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Pretty good. Good evening. How are y'all doing? The, yeah. the the name of that black plantation owner was William Ellison, and he was one of the most brutal human beings in this world. Thank he was you. brutal to, to anybody around, and he owned. It, it was about 50-50, the number of black slave owners versus white slave owners. But something happened to me when I was uh, uh, five years old in 1967. My dad was a, a, a post, um, a letter carrier in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I've lived in Georgia my entire life, okay? And and he delivered mail in downtown Atlanta. And on his route was Ebenezer Baptist Church. And he became friends with the people there at the church. And so one night, he took me to see Martin Luther King speak when I was five years old. To this day, I'm 50, turned 53 last week, and I will still never forget the feeling I felt while watching, watching him speak. Okay? Mm-hmm. And what we have going on today is 180 degrees opposite of what was going on back in 1967. Yep. We have a president of the United States that on a week – when the people of Charleston, black, white, gay, straight, or all across the board, came together, cried together, and wanted to heal together, we had a president of the United States fly all the way across the country and pick a scab by using a, the N-word. Yep. In this country, he doesn't want scabs to heal over and go away. He wants to pick mm-hmm. them, and that's what he's done. And now he's got to stand up either today or tomorrow and give a eulogy after picking a scab about a word, okay, and just uh, festering the sore all over again. 
And it really is disgusting if you look at the, the, the life and, and legacy of Martin Luther King, and you look at comparing with, with, with Barack Obama and what he's doing to this country by not letting it heal. And I think all these things that's happening with the Confederate flag, because like I said, I've lived here my entire life, that flag is a Democratic flag. It's a flag that was put up by the Democratic governor, Fritz Hollings, in 1961. That's a Democratic flag. And now they've made it a Republican problem, or they're trying to make it a Republican mm-hmm. problem. Like you, were, like you were saying earlier, do the research, do your homework. That is a Democrat flag. The Democrats at the time ran the South. Okay, You know, they quote Jim Crow laws all the time. Do you know what party Jim Crow they were the writers. was from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they he were the right. A Democrat. Mm-hmm. The same party as the people on CNN and MSNBC, but they never point that out. <laughs> no. And and I, I do a lot of genealogy, a lot of research in my family past, and I trace my family all the way back, way, way back. And my uh, several lines of my family came to the to the to the shores of America in two places in Savannah, Georgia and Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. And guess what they did when they came here? What they your were family in, did? Yes. Remember, two lines of my family. They were indentured servants. My family. Yeah, yeah they don't, worked, you don't hear a lot about that, do you? My family, two lines of my family work side by side with black people. The same hours, the same sleeping conditions, the same food, the same oh. weather. They were indentured servants. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this whole thing to me, as I'm looking at it, they're shooting toward reparations. They're starting with mm-hmm. this. They're starting with the flag, and once they get that Democratic flag taken down, they'll see that it will not have changed things very much. So they're going to keep pushing forward, and they want reparations. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's going to happen? Who are they going to get reparations from? Let's just say a slave worked for a black slave owner. Are you going to go to the black slave owner's ancestors and go get money from them? Good question. What are the uh, families of the indentured servants that were brought over here and made to work side by side with slaves? They weren't called slaves, but that's what they were. I want mine. I want my reparations if we're going to start handing out reparations. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's yeah, very what and I think and, and one of the calls, because uh, we do keep the mics open, um, and a couple programming notes. Uh, so if there's any background noise, uh, we we can all hear it here on the show. Uh, so uh, if we could keep the background noise uh, to a minimum, because everyone on the call here, uh, they're you know at least who we who's talked, uh, their mic is still on. So if you've been in the show, if you got some background noise, let's try to make that at a minimum. And uh, just to let you know, well, Rocker, is one thing that's different here on Bard's Logic is that if uh, 
you haven't heard this before, you're you know real new to uh, listening to the show, is that unlike a lot of uh, the talk shows, that you come in, you talk with us for about five ten minutes, and we say, uh, well, you know, thank you for calling in, good night, uh, call back in again. Is mm-hmm. uh, we have our roundtable discussion here. Uh, so once mm-hmm. you called in and, and into the show, you're welcome to stay on uh, for the remainder of yep. the program. What we like to do is try mm-hmm. to bring it back around the people as, as fairly as possible uh, to get your comments yeah. uh, throughout uh, the rest of the show. But go ahead and, and finish your thoughts. Yeah, it, it's just in a, in a week where you want to heal, in a week where, where we had an opportunity to come together, and we didn't, okay? We're led by a person who just will not let it, it heal. And that is a really pitiful thing because he said that he said racism is in our DNA, right? DNA is is within your is within your body and what you kind of are. Which reason you got blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes? Okay. Well, if if he's implying that that racism is within white people's DNA, and he is half white, what kind of DNA does he have? <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair analysis. I'd like I to mean, hear the Democrats I'd will like never admit it. that. The Democrats will yeah. never admit that. They still profess to this very day that they elected the first African American president in history. And I like to correct people only from a historical perspective and remind them that we elected the first biracial president in history. Just like when Kennedy was elected, we elected the first Catholic someone of Catholic faith uh, as a president in our nation's history. People forget that his biological mother from Kansas was as white as snow. And so it's so convenient that they hide that tidbit. And why is it so important? Because it is. Because, you know, we should not try to hide history to promote someone's agenda. That's wrong. If we're clearing the deck here, and if we're clearing any semblances of racism and things like that, let's look at FDR. FDR, the first nominee he had for the Supreme Court, he nominated eight people. The very first one he nominated was Hugo Black from Alabama. Hugo Black was an avowed member of the Ku Klux Klan. He served for 34 years. Now, if you're really going to try to get rid of symbols of racism, I say we take FDR off the dime. I agree. I, can agree I mean, you. I mean, go take ahead, him off the dime. Uh, Cindy, go and ahead. We, and we need to take off. Um, oh, oh, this is the worst president in the world. Um, Jackson. I thought that was Obama. Sorry. FDR. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jackson. Thanks, you one of the worst. No, other than Jimmy Carter, other than Jimmy Jackson. Carter, other than <laughs> Woodrow Wilson. You mean Wilson. own money? Woodrow Wilson, no, Woodrow Wilson was a horrible racist. In fact, mm-hmm. um, as long as the black man came into his office, because he had a, a few visits from black people. He, he was visited by Frederick Douglass and by um, Booker T. Washington and others, and Booker T. Washington was allowed to come and go as he pleased because Booker T. Washington was a kiss-up, and he right. just, you know, uh, fit right in with them. But uh, Frederick I mean, Douglass wouldn't take any of Woodrow Wilson's crap, and in fact, 
Woodrow Wilson kicked him out of his office because he was, you know, standing up for himself um, and, and pointing out where Woodrow Wilson's policies were hurting the black man and and uh, wouldn't let him ever come back into his office. And um, if, if you read the things that uh, Woodrow Wilson, this is another thing I, I ran across while I was doing my research for my daughter, that he was he was um, very outspoken. Back then, people could just be outspoken about it, and nobody nobody cared. I mean, the, the, there was no PC back then. You just said your opinion, and that's mm. that. So there was a what? lot of a lot of speeches, yeah. a lot of letters. There's a lot of uh, primary documents available for those men that um, that were so racist. It's it's ridiculous, and yet all that squelched. And we're not allowed to learn about that. All we have to we have to get this trumped up racism, this this race baiting that's going on today, is is what we get in our media now. The shame. Progressive. He was a you know democratic uh, president. I mean, in, in the state of Western Virginia, there are 44 buildings and 11 highways. Named after Robert C. Byrd, who was a, a, a grand Klegel of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> right. I mean, g- grab it's your paintbrush, grab your chisel. I mean, how far do they really want to yeah, open right. this Pandora's box? <laughs> I just, yeah, right. I, I totally agree with you. I, you have shed so much light. It's just, it's just so enlightening. It's like you know, the truth is right there, and it's like people don't even realize that some streets are named after people who were the most uh, horrific race, oh. uh, racist people, and yeah. it's like uh, wake up! It's 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 pathetic. Wake up! I mean, and, there's a and, there's and, a book that was written actually, and it 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 talks about Woodrow Wilson, and it's called The Roots of Modern Liberalism by Ronald uh, Pesquito, and it, it talks about you know Woodrow Wilson and um, you know his progressive agenda and, and a lot of what he did in his presidency, but. Uh, I had a, a new friend that I uh, uh, and colleague that I uh, met last week, um, and uh, he actually uh, referred this uh, book uh, to me. So um, once again, we now have modern. people. You now have people yeah. defacing well, these these monuments with red paint and defacing these you know Confederate monuments. I mean. I live I live not not close to it, but I live near Warm Springs, Georgia. I mean, we drive down there and deface the little White House where FDR, you know. I mean, wow. how how far do you want to go? Exactly. And if God forbid it were the other way around, if God forbid it was Southerners going into northern states and you know getting rid of artifacts that were from the Civil War in the North, such as the artifacts in Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. Oh, do you, would you imagine the heat? Yep. And do you imagine the intensity that would be against conservatives and southerners if it were the other way around? My well, God, it, the mm-hmm. media would have it, a witch hunt. It, it's Western happening on the other sales. side of the world. Forget it. I'm telling you. It's happening on the other side of the world where you see ISIS and these other groups. They're going into these Egyptian museums and destroying thousand-year-old antiquities. And just destroying mm-hmm. them with with a, with a hammer and ball peen hammer, things that you cannot replace. I mean, it, that's their example. Like we don't like it, and we're just going to destroy it. That's no matter. A little bit of a program note, folks. 
uh, real, real quick, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and then I want to bring Ed back in. There's a little bit of a programming note. We've got about 20 minutes of the live portion of the show, uh, but fear not. Uh, for those who are on the call, uh, when we go into the extended period, or what we sometimes lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, those already on the call will be able to uh, not only hear, but, of course, participate in the extended period of the show. But for those of you who are out there who are listening in and would like to listen to the extended period, uh, give us a call at 347-945-7428, uh, because if you do not in the next 19 minutes, then your audio will be cut off, and the show uh, will be continuing. It's just you will not be able to hear it until we go to the extended period. Uh, which will be, uh, of course, if you can't stay with us or call in, uh, will be available on the podcast uh, shortly after the show ends this evening, in which you can uh, share the link with folks uh, so they can listen to the show as well. Uh, or you can also download uh, the show as well. And one of the good things about this, you can access the show either uh, through uh, Blog Talk Radio here, uh, but you could also uh, get it on uh, your iPod. It's also streamed, and also you can get it through uh, your cell phones as well. But one thing I want to do before we get uh, back to you, Ed, is hear something from the Patriot Journalist Network. And so let's hear from them uh, from www.patriotjournalist.com. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team grassroots conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. Definitely, folks, check out the, the Patriot Journalist Network, especially if you are a Twitter user, at www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, so, again, folks, if you'd like to uh, listen to the extended period or chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And just to know that the show is live every Wednesday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, now, we will be back on July 1st, uh, however, the week after that, on July 8th, I am taking a small hiatus, small vacation, in which I will not uh, be having the show on July 8th, but we will be back again on July 15th. I'm uh, taking uh, my daughter down to Florida, so uh, that'll be good. A uh, little break that I desperately need, to be honest. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Ed, and uh, then we'll bring it back around. Ed, go ahead. Okay, um, getting back to President Wilson. President Wilson and his administration was probably one of the more racist of them all. He actually brought, uh, doing, uh, he loved the movie Birth of a Nation, and he had a private showing in the White House of Birth of a Nation. Uh, I kind of enjoyed Birth of a Nation because it showed the racism going on at that time. I, I, I suggest everybody read Birth of a Nation. Uh, one of my favorite books I ever read was Slavery's Constitution. If you get back to Slavery's Constitution, um, it gets into the aspect that, that you know, uh, the Federalists wanted this big thing, a big giant government to come up born in Philadelphia, 
and basically I'm an anti-federalist and I'm for the Bill of Rights, but not for the extension of what they tried to put through. And they extended the slave trade for another 20 years, and they counted blacks as three-fifths of the people. So shall we go back and do away with the Constitution because uh, it was, you know, uh, racist? Yeah, it was race, very racist in nature, and most of the people that wrote it owned slaves. So what are we going to do about the uh, Constitution? You're worried about some silly flag. But the fact of the matter is, again, it's not the flag. It's, it's we, the people, that have to stand up against the Federalists that are trying to manipulate our lives. And we, the people, have to stand up against the, the media and the Republicans and the Democrats. Getting back to uh, Strom Thurmond. He's, you know, he was a Democrat, but he changed Republicans. Trent Locke got in trouble for him, and his Republican grandson today said, "Take down the flag." And Republican thing of the, uh, 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 the Republican governor, she also said, "Take down the flag." And Republicans are coming out everywhere. The Republicans are no different about Democrats. They're the same. Republicans and Democrats are the same. They are about big, strong government telling you everything to do. And there, there's nothing good about either of these parties. And it's up to we, the people, to hold up the shield of the Bill of Rights, to hold up the shield of the anti-federalism, to say we're not going to take this huge federal government and their state want to be close to them like it because the federal government tells them to be that way and the federal media tells them to be that way. So we got to stand up to these people and say we're going to hold up the Bill of Rights and all the other crap you give us is bullshit because America was founded on the triumvirate of the Bill of Rights, the Ten Commandments, and the Gospel of Christ. And as long as we remember that triumvirate, that's what America grew up on, that's what America believes in, and as long as we believe in those three things, we're going to be the greatest country in the world. And uh, Atticus, I want to ask you the question here: Is are you familiar with the Constitution Party? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I'm a Libertarian Constitution Party, but I'm really an anti-federalist because I I talk to my founding fathers all the time, and it sounds weird, but I know I talk to you guys on radio and stuff. But you know, on my own time, I read them and I talk back to them. Why do you think that? Why do you think that? I can tell you all their positions, what their religions are, and everything out about the Founding Fathers. I just love the Founding Fathers. And the Constitution Party, eh, anti-federalists, we really didn't like the Constitution. But we accepted as long as you gave us the Bill of Rights, because we know the Bill of Rights is the ultimate shield for the mankind. And it started in the Magna Carta 800 years ago. It's only about two weeks ago since this 800th birthday. But it grew Mm -hmm. from there. Bill of Rights and the principles of the Bill of Rights are really need to drill home. And, you know, yeah, I know the Constitution Party well. I've talked to a lot of Constitution Party members and voted for a few of them. I voted for Libertarian Party members. Anybody is anti-Federalist. But for the Republican and the Democratic Party, especially in the federal government, always you're going to get this huge federal government, more and more of the same thing, and you're going to get your Speaker of the House Republican is supposed to be your leader of the opposition following Obama. It's bullshit. The Republicans have compensated this two-party system, this two-headed piece of a donkey and an elephant with uh, elephant legs in front and donkeys kicking in the rear. This is who we're fighting. This is the beast that we have to put down. This is the beast we have to tame because this beast is the beast of giant 
Marxism federal government. And the anti-federalists said, don't let them take our bill of rights away. We never went to federal government in the first place. And we definitely, uh, you know, we've talked about the duopoly, or at least discussed the duopoly of the Republican and uh, Democrat Party, uh, especially back, uh, we talked a lot about that in 2012, if you recall, uh, Cindy. And, of course, folks, you've been with the show since uh, its inception in 2012. So we talked about a lot of those. I actually got the opportunity to meet Virgil Goode, who was running for president of uh, the Constitution Party. He was a a pretty salt-of-the-earth guy. Uh, We interviewed a lot of candidates uh, from the Constitution and Libertarian uh, candidates uh, as well. Actually, I got a lot of slack during 2012. I mean, I'm sure you'll recall that as well, Cindy, uh, how much uh, grief we got for for vetting uh, the parties, from, I mean, the candidates from the Libertarian and the Constitution Party. Uh, <clears throat> my mind was, you know, you, you definitely had plenty of media outlets who were uh, vetting the Republicans, talking about the Republican Party. And as the Main focus of Barr's logic is the grassroots and conservative grassroots at that. Um, you know, while we do talk a lot about the you know Republican Party as well, uh, we do uh, include those uh, because you know we're more of a you know conservative show. But our main focus is the grassroots. Uh, and speaking of that, I think uh, with the panel we have here, uh, a plethora of uh, party representations. We got a couple uh, Republicans in that uh, you know, of Joe and. Cindy, uh, you know, more towards the Republican Party. And then Kelly, who wasn't here tonight, who I think uh, that you'd really enjoy to talk with, uh, is a libertarian. And then we have Dan Gray, who uh, is from the Constitution Party. And, you know, myself, I'm more of an independent, but I do have some Green Party leanings. Um, So we kind of run the gamut uh, there in, uh, you know, with the different political parties. Uh, But you know, so we welcome you to, you know, come back and, and talk more about it, especially as we do more coverage of candidates. So we do, don't we, uh, Joe, have a, a plan uh, where we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, many more of the Republican nominee candidates. So that's what, uh, something I know Joe and I are working on together. Uh, and so we're looking to have uh, some more of them come on uh, as things progress and the nomination. I'm sure uh, my contacts with the Constitution Party, I'll be talking with them as well. Uh, and then I'm sure, you know, with Kelly, with his candidates uh, that he knows and people and the uh, partisan libertarians will be talking to him as well. And then mine uh, also, uh, we may have some uh, some Green Party candidates on, uh, which we have in the past. And we actually had uh, a Green Party candidate from Pennsylvania run for governor uh, who you would actually have been surprised uh, at. It was uh, Paul Glover. And it was actually pretty surprising, even to Dan, uh, when we had him on the show how unliberal he actually was. I know a lot of people associate progressivism and liberalism, and in a lot of ways they're correct in, in that uh, for the Green Party. But this guy was actually uh, had a lot of uh, conservative ideas. And so uh, we run the game. And I see a couple more folks on the show uh, are on the line. So if you'd like to chime in, push the one on your number dial, and uh, we'll get you into the show. And I see we only have about – uh, eight minutes left of the live portion of the show. Uh, so uh, I see, uh, you know, some more folks in chat as well. And so we're going to be leaving the live portion in about eight minutes there. So if you'd like to listen in or chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Uh, like some folks I've seen who already have. But let's go ahead and bring things uh, back to you, uh, Rocco, and then we'll bring it to you, Cindy. 
and then Joe, and then we'll bring it back over to you, Ed. And then if folks want to chime in, just just push that one in the number dial, and we'll get you in for the extended period here on Bard's Logic. And so let's go back over to you, Rocket. Yeah, I think just the the main problem we have here is is those who profit in race baiting don't want people to get along. They want they want because there's a marked difference between proportionality here. Um, Ferguson versus uh, Baltimore versus Charleston. Okay, you had nine people get killed in uh, Charleston. You had uh, one in Ferguson and one in um, what was the other town? Baltimore. Okay, and um, the difference is how how, um, Baltimore reacted and Ferguson reacted versus how Charleston reacted. And I'm sure Al Sharpton and others like him look at that and they don't want that reaction. So to get that going a little bit, they brought in the Black Panthers last night. Did y'all know that? No. Yeah, they brought no, the I didn't Black know Panthers. That. Yeah, last night they brought the Black Panthers in to go walking down the street to get things fired up. Mm-hmm. To introduce a, a more militant um, part of the equation. And... Um, you know, they they to me represents just as much hate as any piece of cloth sitting on top of a flagpole somewhere. That, that, to me, that flag means nothing because that's not my flag. You know, I didn't put that flag up there. Nobody I ever voted for or any of my family they ever voted for put that flag up there. So you can take it down all day. And another reason you see all these Republican governors rushing to take it down, think about it for a minute. Why do you think they're rushing to take it down? Political expediency. That's one. But the Democrats are the one responsible for putting it up there. So if you can be the Republican responsible for ripping that sucker down, why wouldn't you do that? Well, you know, back in – I just mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I guess you weren't on, but in in the 1990s, a Republican tried to replace – you know, it was a a Democrat that put it up there on the South Carolina Capitol – and right. then in 1961, as uh, you mentioned earlier, and then in the 1990s, a Republican tried to take it down, and as a result, he lost his next election. Yep. Yep. But, you know, if you don't have an honest media uh, sharing these these bits of information about this, then, mm-hmm. you know, why even watch it? Why even watch people who take half of a story and just stop without telling the whole story? Why do you have people over and over repeating uh, Jim Crow, Jim Crow, Jim Crow, Jim Crow without telling Jim Crow, Democrat Jim Crow, Democrat Jim Crow? I mean, repeat it over and over. Yeah. You know, all these people, Bull Connor, he was a, you know, if you watch that movie, uh, that Martin Luther King movie that Oprah Winfrey did, uh-huh. I, I was, I went into that movie just simply because uh, the Chris Kyle movie was sold out, but I went into it with, you know, with a open eyes. <laughs> I mean, really, open eyes, looking at it from a, a jaundiced, conservative person that I am, and I saw what I wanted to see. I saw Democrats acting the way Democrats did toward blacks in the South in the 60s. I saw LBJ stand there cussing out, um, 
Martin Luther King. And I saw redneck Democrat um, sheriffs beating black people up. But no, it's for some reason they want us to take the blame for it. That we're we're ripping that flag down because oh we feel guilty about it. And the truth is, Republican governors have been wanting to rip that thing down from the beginning. They didn't want it up there. And um, I just think you know, it's not the first step. I said this before. I'll say it again. It's not their first step. The next step is reparations. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, somebody actually well, quoted today of taking down the Jefferson Memorial in Washington D.C. because he owned slaves. Well, you know, as mm-hmm. I as I, I pointed out at the beginning when I was giving that uh, statistic earlier, it was uh, Hannity that had that statistic on his show that it was a Democrat that put it up and a Republican tried to take it down. And in fact, he was going to be doing more of that expose on his show tonight at ten o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. I don't watch Fox anymore, so I'm not going to go there. But um, he, he is—he is at least trying to put out the history. Uh, he is trying to get that out, um, but right. the history. But you know, who listens to, to Hannity at 10 o'clock at night? Um, died in the wool Republicans that still think Fox tells the truth. So they're the only ones on there. So, <laughs> right. well, but the average Democrat. I do. The I learned that case at 12. I think you have to stand tough and say the truth all the time and never stop saying the truth, no matter who you're around, no matter what crowd you're in, no matter if you're the only person that looks like you or sounds like you or believes like you, you have to state the fact professionally and clearly if this subject comes up that this is not a Republican problem. This is a Democrat problem they created and – you know, this is their fault, not ours. Yeah, that's right. And so you just got to keep beating that drum. And, well, uh, we can try anyway. Because I don't know where y'all are from, but but here, I'm telling you, I wouldn't live anywhere else in the country. I've lived here all my life, and it's true. I grew up on both sides of town. I have just as many black friends as I have white friends. I go to church with black people and white people. And what the liberal media is trying to portray is we're still got straw in our mouth and we got bare feet and we got um, overalls on and we're just looking to lynch people. And that's well, just the people on this no show further from the know, truth. Right. Well, the people on this show know my family. Uh, we have, I have, um, two African-American biracial grandchildren. I have two Mexican-American biracial grandchildren. I have a white grandchild. And um, Mm -hmm. and one of my daughters is dating in Indonesian right now. So so we have come so far. I mean, there's there's so little racism uh, that it's, it's, it's hard to imagine they can even find anybody like this idiot, you know, from Charleston that would, that would actually, you know, do something in a, in a with a racist racial racist motive. I mean, I'm I'm surprised they can find real racists to to pin something on. Well, and my and my question, one of my questions is this, Cindy. I want to bring this to the panel and our guests tonight, our audience. Is I want you know because a lot of this has happened because you know of course with the, the police shootings, of course they don't really hear just here in my city. 
a an off, a police officer was uh, killed by, you know, a black man. And I didn't see any kind of protests by police officers in the street. I didn't see, you know, a bunch of white people coming in the street saying, keep our officers safe. Um, I didn't see where they said white police, you know, or white people matter or whatever. I, I didn't see that. Um, you know, that just, that just doesn't happen. Uh, so my question is, is if, if roles were reversed or situations, I should say, were reversed in which you had either a black officer kill a, a white criminal, okay, or in the act of someone in the act of uh, a crime, or if you had uh, a, you know, a black guy stand up and just kill a bunch of white, uh, you know, people, would there be such the media attention and would there be such the, the outrage and, and call for some kind of change or, or, or something of that nature if it was reversed? Ask your question. Why is there silence? Because we all know the answer to that. Yeah, well, no, 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 um, no. I, I actually, to answer your question with all honesty. Um, Good, yeah. You know, uh, you know, just the facts are out there. If you look on at the percentage of uh, black on black crimes, which run prevalent, actually, which actually uh, the mainstream right. media wants to divert total attention away from it, but we can't run away from the facts. Um, you know, it shows that uh, alone last year, uh, 324,000 United States, um, you know, uh, yeah, African American, you know, United States citizens, blacks, were killed by blacks uh, alone. Uh, back in uh, the Giuliani era, uh, in, when he was elected in, in 93, um, he claimed that. Uh, 93% of black murder victims uh, were killed by other blacks. And actually, this uh, was actually a, a one major problem back in the uh, early, no, late 1980s. We had a, um, a mayor, uh, African-American mayor, uh, Mayor David Dinkins. And, of course, it was, uh, it was much like the de Blasio um, uh, era where um, a lot of damage was done to the New York economy, uh, race relations, and basically Giuliani came in and he cleaned up a lot of the mess. But um, what is what is the epidemic is the black-on-black crime. And maybe, let's just say hypothetically, the motives of that killer uh, last week um, was a, a, a racial race, racially motivated. Let's, let's, let's just say that's true, and even if that were true. I mean, the statistics that are out there show that, you know, the the majority of the homicides in the inner cities are blacks killing blacks. And people don't want to talk about the real issue. It's blacks killing blacks in large percentage of numbers in these inner cities. And at the end of the day, I want to give one classic example. Um, we go to Ferguson, and when... Um, you know, the, the, the protesters uh, who were supporting um, Michael Ferguson, uh, when they didn't get the verdict they wanted, they went out and they looted and they burnt the city. Now look at what happened in 1994 after the O.J. Simpson trial. You did not see one single white person going out there burning down the city of Los Angeles. So I'm not trying to, right. you know, make this into a, 
um, a difference between races, but I am going to bring up the fact. In a lot of polarizing cases where the verdict was the other way around, where it was a black person who killed a white person and the verdict didn't come out the way uh, the, the plaintiff expected it to come out if the plaintiff was white, you did not see any um, public protest or any, um, you know, um, how can I say, um, demonstrations that led to violence or anything of, of that nature. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, right. after the verdict is done, you, you hear a decadent silence. Um, and that is just fact. You know, I, I, I can't say that in every single case, but in a lot of the polarizing cases, when the verdict is the other way around, you know, you hear utter silence from um, the white um, victim. Yeah, the white victim is upset, but the white victim does not, you know, uh, go on national TV and say, let's burn down these cities. We were not happy with the verdict. And, um, you know, yes, there was a lot of white people who were really upset with the OJ verdict in 94. But nonetheless, they, you know, they didn't display... Uh, any lack of decorum, or they did not resolve their um, decision with not agreeing with the verdict through violence in any way, shape, or form. Then you go to Ferguson, and the verdict doesn't happen the way they want to, and that's because the media tried that case from the beginning, and that is the danger with them when the media begins to try the case, not knowing the fact, and then when they interject uh, the worst race hustlers in our modern era, Jesse Jackson mm-hmm. and um, Al Sharpton. I mean, that's how they make their money, to be honest. This is what they live for, is race baiting, race hustlers. That's how they make their money. Spewing their propaganda, writing their books, you know, jiving up the base. And it is despicable. It is deplorable. But if people want to say that uh, or they want to spin it that we live in a more racist era than ever, then how the heck can you explain logically how Barack Obama got elected in 2008 when 60% of the Caucasian vote overwhelmingly voted for him? It makes no sense. It defies logic. So now anything you say that is opposition to Obama, you are labeled a racist. Anything you say, it doesn't matter. And I'm like so sick and tired of it. I'm like, really? I mean, but you hear about who have the emotional. What about those people who got fired for making? Yeah, what about those people? Uh, I don't know. Some, maybe it was a, a TV show host or something or or somebody got fired because they made some comments about Michelle Obama. I mean, what? I mean, that's not supposed to happen in a place where you don't have royalty. I mean, they're not kings and queens. But I'm th- I can't remember who it was. But I remember seeing it actually on Twitter where some uh, TV show host got fired from their job because they made some kind of comment about Michelle Obama. Now, how many times has, you know, like Laura Bush or something like that has been, you know, made fun of and things of that nature, you know, by uh, liberal entertainers and nothing happens to me. These people get fired. And through my understanding, you know, the White House complains if they say anything about you know, Obama or, or Michelle Obama as if they're, you know, off limits as if they're some kind of royalty. So much for politi- for freedom of speech and uh, freedom of the press, huh? Actually, it was a Univision talk show host that was fired. Uh, I pulled up the information for the Michelle um, Obama comment. 
It actually, um, let's see, uh, it was actually a long-time award-winning show host. Um, and uh, he was saying that the First Lady Michelle Obama, uh, Obama looks like someone from Planet of the Apes. And this is a <laughs> oh, show called El Gordo y, el, y la Flaca, which means the fat uh, and the skinny. And um, let me try to get the name of the show. Um, let's see. It, yeah, it was actually Rodna Figueroa. He, was, uh, he worked for 17 years for Univision. Uh, since 2000, he won a Daytime Emmy Award in 2014 and is known for his uh, biting fashion commentary. And, uh, yeah, he got um, fired for that uh, comment. I would, probably, um, I would probably fire him, too. That, that probably was wasn't bad. the wisest comment, definitely. wasn't so smart for someone who was a uh, who had worked for Univision for 17 years. You would think he would have known better. And for someone who also uh, won... All kinds of uh, awards. Well, how's that different? Yeah, yeah, but how, but how how's that different from you know people saying that Obama should? I mean, uh, Bush should get to be assassinated, or make movies about Bush being assassinated, or you know saying you know uh, comments about Bush, you know about Bush. How's that any different? I mean, no one's calling for anybody to get fired over that, and no one's reminder saying no, they did get fired because of that. Absolutely. I, I don't see where that person got right. got fired. It's a double standard because I remember in the George W. Bush administration, people called him a redneck. Uh, they were called, he was received all kinds of death threats. Uh, he had a shoe thrown at him. So uh, all kinds of horrific things were said about his family. He was called uh, a white uh, supremacist. He was called all kinds of names by the mainstream media, and the liberals did not condone it. It was okay. It was fair trade. As a matter of fact, Bill Maher gained popularity because Bill Maher started actually um, his 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 first show uh, on HBO in 1999. I forgot what the name of it was, but he actually gained notoriety because he was famous for people tuned in to hear what to say on bashing George W. Bush, and that was okay. He even called Sarah Palin the C word. He said that her uh, granddaughters were uh, retarded and had Down syndrome. Uh, he says all kinds of horrific things today on his show every day, bashing conservative women, saying the most horrific things. And well, well, who's the one who fired Tig? Yeah, I'd fire him too. They're applauding him. <laughs> yes, they're actually revering him. And you're right, Robert, it's a double standard. Now, I'm not condoning what that host did in Univision at all in any way, shape, or form, but what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm tired of this double standard. I believe that we should all be held accountable for our actions. I do believe that that individual in Univision deserves to be fired because, quite frankly, you should not be making a reference like that especially as a professional commentary journalist for 17 years. But neither should Bill Maher. And, but the people of HBO continue to promote that show, and it, it actually is getting more popular by the day. And that just shows the double standard. And you know what? You could like Bush. You can hate Bush. You can talk about his legacy. History will, will you know, determine later on about his legacy and, you know, will determine if he is, the, one of the worst presidents in our history or not. But at the end of the day, the one thing I do respect about George W. Bush is 
he took all the blow, all all the fire from the media, and he took it like a man. He never fired back. As a matter of fact, Dana Perino, who was the White House uh, press secretary, who now is one of the co-hosts of The Five, she to this very day says that I never saw a more admirable quality in a leader who would take this everyday criticism so harshly and he never would stoop to low levels to fight back. He just well, yeah, I mean, he was compared to Hitler. Uh, but I, oh, I was getting ready to bring uh, Fred Rocco in, and unfortunately uh, the call dropped, and that's one of the things about uh, the uh, extended period. If you, your call drops, unfortunately, we won't be able to uh, call back in. But, uh, Rocco, if you are listening to the archive, which – Hopefully you are. Uh, just uh, let you know that we, you know, try to as I said earlier, keep, get people back in as um, much as I can. Uh, sometimes uh, we panelists uh, get on and stay on a little long, but you know we, we still like to, to try to ferry, uh, ferret out the, uh, you know, the opportunities for for people to talk. And I was just getting uh, ready to bring uh, him back in, Rocco back in, but unfortunately we lost his call. So hopefully we'll hear from Rocco again if you are listening to the archive. All right, we have to hear you on uh, subsequent shows. Uh, and anyone out there who uh, may know Rocco, uh, definitely invite him back on because, you know, he, I definitely enjoyed having uh, him part of the conversation. And so let's go ahead and since we're bringing up. Uh, I really did like what yeah. Rocco had to say. He actually hit on a lot of points, and mm-hmm. he actually even, you know, brought information forward that I didn't even know of. So, I mean, he was great to have on the show, and he really hit – on on a lot of valid points, and he backed it up with substance, and he backed it up with facts. He didn't make he didn't create opinion into a fact. And uh, you know, I was really surprised by his knowledge. So Rocco, if you're listening, um, you know, thank you for your contribution to the show. It was a pleasure having you on. You really, you know, uh, you know, I you know, I guess the saying is true. You learn something new every day, and I sure learned a few uh, things I didn't know before uh, Rocco came onto the show today. So. Thank you, Rocco, if you're listening out there. Yeah, definitely. And so let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to uh, Ed, who's uh, one of our audience members calling in. And uh, if you'd like to make any comments on a different topic, same topic, uh, that's fine. Uh, we are what we call Bart's Logic After Dark, so we have a little bit of fun uh, here as well, if uh, that comes up, maybe even some humor. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to you, Ed. All right. As an ardent anti-federalist, I uh, don't like the executive branch because uh, under the Arctic Confederation, we didn't have the executive branch. And uh, Jefferson himself didn't want to remember for his t- term in the executive branch, although he did a so-so job. But uh, I- I'm not a big fan of presidents at all. But as an ardent anti federalist I hate centralized power and the racism that it had from, if you read the slavery's constitution, till today, the two biggest things that the federal government does that are very racist today that are causing most of the problems that we are seeing is A, the DEA and the war on drugs, and B, Uncle Sam's plantation and the welfare state. These two things keep the black people down. It's almost like the federal government got their foot on the throat of the black man. Uh, as far as the war on drugs, there's eight to one incarceration ratio. The reason being, 
they are coming from Section 8 housing. They are coming from second and third generations. They're in places that you would not even want your children to even get close to. And this is what we're fighting. The anti-federalists need to shut down all these federal programs that are really decimating the black population. And they're held in basically by both the Democrat and Republican Party worship the DEA and worship the welfare programs. And it's up to us to try to get this cycle of violence against the black people broken. Well, actually, uh, in the beginning, the, the word federalist as a party uh, was uh, – that that was their philosophy, to make government smaller and, and have a, uh, no central uh, actually, government, only the oh, smallest no, no, central government. No. The federalist government, the anti-federalists were for not having tuition at all. The federalists wanted a oh, stronger – Oh, you're, you're talking about the – okay, you, you're saying the anti-federalists. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, I'm the yeah. anti. I'm an anti-federalist. The federalists are the ones that are pretty. The federalists are the ones that put the war on drugs and Uncle Sam's plantation in place. They keep their foot on the throat of the young black man. There are young, more young black men in prison than in college. There are more young black men today between age 18 and 35 than there ever were in a slave field in this country. This is an atrocity, and it's because of bad policies from the Democrat and the Republican parties. Both parties are responsible. Mm-hmm. Well, most of well, uh, I- you know, as, as I mentioned earlier tonight, is, you know, we kind of run the plethora of people who represent different, uh, I don't want to use the word factions, uh, but at least, you know, you know, parties and some ideologies, because, you know, we, as I said, you know, we've got our Republicans here on the panel. We also have our Libertarians and our Constitution Party folks. And then, of course, uh, myself, who, you know, as I said, leans uh, kind of towards, in a conservative way, then uh, Newt Gingrich uh, coined the term green conservatism, and that's something I pretty much subscribe to. Uh, so I, well, I, never you know, kind of, it. you know, I mean, Gingrich was a flop, and so was O'Banner. I mean, they're both flops, and and you know, the war on drugs is really bad, and Uncle Sam's plantation needs to go. It needs to go. We need to get rid of the federal government in these positions, and and we are. I mean, the states are moving out. Colorado is legalized. There's six states that now legalized marijuana. We're moving in that direction. We're getting people are getting out of jail from that in those states. We got to move away from incarcerating people for the drugs, and especially the young black man. But unfortunately, it's happened so much over the last forty or fifty years of the uh, two party, which really is one party rule, and, and they they both worship that the war on drugs, and they both worship that uh, at the welfare state, and those are the two biggest problems facing the black community, and, and a lot of America today. And if you can't accept that, then you're part of the problem. But it is the problem. The war on drugs needs to go. We we don't need to incarcerate. We need to rehabilitate. Also, the the uh, war on poverty needs to go. Uh, LBJ's great society is like doomed failure that just costs us tons and tons of money. Until we get rid of both those programs, America is going to be in a racial divide. 
Well, I would not be I would not be for legalizing drugs um, in America because I I, I strongly well, believe because, of the, because well, of the way because of the way our morals have gone, I, I would say that as long as it, there was no thought of going to prison for it, there would be like you know nearly everybody would start smoking it, and I think that the the health problems and the dangers that are, would arise from that would be tremendous, but. I, I do agree that it should be each state that decides what to do about their yes, drug problem. Let the states, and, exactly. Let the states do it on their own. And that's what we're doing. Uh, the states are moving that direction. Uh, most of the states are going to legalize marijuana. Uh, it's just like alcohol. Trying to burn it. Alcohol is one of the worst drugs there is. It was a doomed failure that caused so many deaths and so much craziness in this country. It's unbelievable. Prohibition does not work. You have to change our humans' hearts, and you have to try to rehabilitate them. Cages aren't the answer. Cages are not the answer. You need to move away from that. And the Republicans and the Democrats are too caught up in that uh, uh, prison industrial complex. We need to move away from that. Yeah, I, I agree with well, Ed. Um, well, well, the statistics well, are out there about the incarcerations. And um, the Cato Institute of Research and Politics came out with an interesting beautiful. statistic. Uh, they said about 65% of uh, incarcerations are low-level uh, drug offenses. And exactly. that is... That's what we're going to change people's hearts. we got to change go our ahead, hearts. No, no, well, I, go ahead, I, Joe. I agree. I agree with that. It, it, it's it's the, that that is a big problem that people really need to look into because at the end of the day, we have an overcrowded prison system. We have billions upon billions of taxpayer dollars that are paying to house, feed, and clothe these prisoners. And I think we need to reassess the system. Uh, I don't understand how in in some states that doesn't have Megan's law where if someone is convicted of a sex offense, they only face two years in prison, and how you can incarcerate someone for trafficking more than three pounds of marijuana for 15 years. It's just it's just ludicrous. Uh, you know, it's, it's insane. You would think you would be punishing, giving the 15-year sentence to the uh, person who um, committed the sexual act, um, you know, or molested a child. Instead, you're incarcerating someone for trafficking three pounds or more of marijuana. Well, we're, we're treating things. We're treating drug on. We're treating the the war on drugs the same as we treat the war on jihad over there. It's it's all based on containment instead of winning the war. We need to to wake up in this country and start winning the wars that we start. And the way to win them is not to go after the little guy. Um, you know, and put him in jail for 15 years. You need to go after the big guy and get him in jail for the rest of his life. And, and I agree. And and only the only reason you would pick up a, a low-level uh, drug dealer is just to get information out of him, and then just let him go and, and just keep getting information until you until you finally bring down the big guys. Because as long as you're just putting one little guy in prison after the other, there's always somebody waiting right there behind him to take his place and and go down to the same neighborhood and just pick up where he left off when he went to prison. You're never going to stop the drug trade by putting low-level people in the prison. Just never mind them. Go after the big guy and take care of those guys. But no, they have so much power, so much money. Governments like Mexico is afraid of them. That's how much well, power two, two things though, uh, that I will have to <clears throat> two things that we'll have to disagree with uh, two of you folks there. One, Cindy, 
is, is about the uh, about you know the legalization of drugs. I, I mean, personally, I don't believe that you know if they were to legalize drugs, that uh, you know, you know uh, so many more people would do it just because it's uh, the moral degradation of America and you know more people. Do. I mean, I know that, that if they legalize drugs, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't bother. Huh? Alcohol did that. That's exactly what happened with alcohol. When alcohol was legalized, now everybody drinks it. Oh, just they were about. drinking it then. They just were. They were just being sneaky about it. <laughs> they were doing it. They were just being. They're just. I don't know if it was. You know, if there was more of it, I just think people didn't have to sneak in and drink any longer. And then, of course, uh, with that, what, what, and his mention of, of Newt Gingrich being a pop, I can't uh, agree with that. Of course, I was a big Newt uh, Gingrich supporter in 2012. I uh, just think he's got a lot of uh, you know brilliant ideas, and you know I know he's a uh, Republican, but uh, he's one of the Republicans I actually do uh, like, and uh, you know would support if, again if he was to run for uh, in the primary. I just think he's got a, a, a lot of great news, and I've got a lot of audio clips I can't play him tonight uh, that may uh, open up uh, your thoughts on on Newt Gingrich. Uh, but what, one of the things, speaking of uh, what you're talking about, is a, a show just to bring up maybe some possible future shows. Uh, is I, I thought about doing this. I had someone actually contact me about coming on to the show, uh, but because of the nature of the show, uh, the nature of the topic, I wasn't sure whether I was going to have him come on. Uh, but since you, you, we, we brought up you know, legalizing drugs, uh, things of that nature, is uh, this gentleman approached me about coming on about polygamy. He's actually a leader of uh, some kind of polygamy organization. And so I really kind of held off uh, on saying whether I'd even get him on the show uh, for that, just to have that discussion. Personally, I think it would be an interesting discussion, uh, but I didn't know how <laughs> well that'd go over uh, with the panelists. Uh, but I may do that someday just because I think it'd be interesting. It is something that, you know, is, you know, in America currently is, of course, uh, illegal, except maybe in uh, uh, Iowa or something. I'm just kidding. But um, what was that <laughs> state that uh, people say all the time about polygamy? Utah. I can't remember what it is. Utah, Utah there we go. Um, and maybe it still is. I don't know. But that that, that may I bet that may prove where I'll contact him and say yes. Let's go ahead and have you on. Maybe an interesting conversation. I, I, uh, we're talking about legalization and uh, maybe legalizing that, and maybe even maybe even get uh, get risque and yeah, even bring up the uh, prostitution uh, issue. But go ahead, Joe. You were saying? No, I don't think it's a bad idea bringing on uh, the guests. In all honesty, you were you were debating whether it would be a bad idea or with the panelists. Uh, I think what makes your show stand out uh, than from all the other typical uh, shows out out there is uh, this show strives and 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 being different and being objective and and and, and not just not just going with the status quo like a lot of other shows do. What makes uh, Bard's Logic talk radio so so intense is the different uh is that this is a very open minded show and the respect that, you know, we, you know, we, we we allow what most other shows do not. Most most other shows, in my opinion, are one sided. You know, they have a one sided ideology and if you don't fit that ideology, well, you're not going to be on their show. And the great thing about your show is you uh, is it's like this big umbrella that pretty much welcomes anyone who wants to have a, a healthy political uh, conversation or a topic as long as they remain professional, of course, and it doesn't go into profane language or anything like that. And I well, think that's what the listeners love. They want to listen to a show with diversity. They want to listen to a show that's going to have different topics. 
They don't want to listen to a show that's just going to be like another MSNBC outlet, all one-sided. And that is, in my opinion, the the, the difference uh, of this show and why you uh, have a lot of loyal listeners is because, as I was saying a, a week ago, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get on this show. And I think that's what listeners want. They want to be in suspense. They don't want to hear the same thing regurgitated. They want something new and exciting each and every week. And in my opinion, Robert, you bring that. You strive to do that in this show. Well, great. Well, then I'll go ahead and uh, contact him, and uh, I appreciate that, Joe. And, I mean, I agree I agree with you. Um, just uh, with the polygamy thing, I know a lot of, you know, Christian folks and stuff like that listen to the show. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to have him on. I'll, I'll probably go ahead and uh, recontact him. Um, with him extending his hand out to be on the show. I, I mean, I think it'd be a, an interesting show. And so, uh, yeah. And then, Cindy, I'll be, it'll be interesting uh, to get the, you be a part of it as well, of course. And then we'll get the uh, other panelists on uh, to discuss it. So it sounds great. Now, I do see we're actually uh, at the bottom of the second hour, actually, already. Uh, so I want to thank everybody, of course, for coming on. We still got about uh, 20 minutes before I have to uh, close things out. Uh, so now uh, what we're looking at uh, for next week is our guest uh, looking to come on is uh, Mr. Klopp, and we're looking to have him on uh, and talk about uh, what he's up to his organization. We've had him on the uh, show before, and just as a little teaser, and, of course, uh, I guess a blatant way to get people to go into the archives, uh, <laughs> just go ahead and check out our show that we had uh, Mr. Klopp uh, on the show. And so uh, – just look through. We've had him on some months ago, and we're welcome having uh, having him back on. Uh, so he'll be on next week, which I believe is uh, the first of July already. If we can believe that. So we do Time have, uh, you know, as fun. I said, uh, you go ahead. Time flies when you're having fun. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And I, t- I know Dan's uh, fond of saying that there's been nights where we, you know, we wish we even had even another hour because there's definitely with some shows where we could have. Uh, going on for four hours uh but what we got uh here's what i was going to play tonight uh we won't have time and i was going to play our interview uh from matt bevan uh who we had on the show not too long ago he's running for governor and he won a very grassroots campaign for the primary uh for the uh run for the governor in kentucky i was going to play that uh tonight but uh that's a whole that's a half hour interview and we don't even have that much time left in the show so perhaps there'll be another night where i'll play that um and so i do see some folks on the line uh who are just listening in to the extended period uh but if you'd like to chime in just push the one on the number dial but i know a lot of folks just uh would like to listen and that's fine too just of course make sure uh, you do one of two things if you are new to the show uh there uh, is a way to follow the show a couple ways one is uh here on blog talk radio where they have a little follow uh, button on the homepage here, uh, whether it's on the show or on the page uh, here on Blog Talk Radio for Bards Logic Political Talk. Just push the follow button, and weekly you will get uh, an email in which uh, we'll tell you what an upcoming show or a past show is about. Or you can join the uh, Bards Logic website by – not website, I mean the email list by going to bardslogic at gmail.com. Uh, just send me the host uh, a message there, or by going to the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the contact page, 
and send me a message where you'd like to be on the email list. And then, of course, you'll also get uh, some emails talking about the past and upcoming shows uh, as well. Now, uh, to be honest, I do have some updates here, uh, putting on the most recent guests onto the show. But definitely check out our list of uh, former guests that we've had on. I think uh, you'll be interested to see uh, who these folks were. Uh, but I do still got some other updates from some pages, uh, but that is, of course, under construction, as they say, as websites go. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it back uh, to the show while we still have the time remaining uh, for tonight, uh, whether you want to be on uh, this topic or some other uh, that we've had tonight. And we'll go ahead, of course, gentlemen, we're going to give deference to the lady for her to start first, and then uh, we'll bring it over to you, Ed, and then you, Joe, and then I'll make some comments. And by then, I'm thinking we may be where – I'll have to uh, close out the show uh, in the last about 10 minutes of it. So go ahead, uh, Cindy. Well, um, I'll just uh, close out my conversation by saying that um, I think this whole flag thing has, there's ulterior motives behind it. There's there's no reason why all of a sudden, um, after years of that flag not meaning anything to anybody, all of a sudden it's racist, and um, and, and this is a fairly recent, um, you know, thing that is occurring, um, a viewpoint that has, you know, just been shoved down our throats. Just one more way to try to make conservative Republicans look like racists, um, and it's kind of backfiring on them, I think, because... Um, the governors are taking them down. They don't really care about any uh, flag like that being up there, so they're just taking them down. So, um, uh, but it's going to be one of those politically incorrect symbols, uh, like you know mm-hmm. things that you do when it's just freedom of speech and 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 the the whole meaning of the flag is um, completely misconstrued and um, mislabeled and. Um, the people in the media, the people in the the political people, the government, they're not, excuse me, they're not properly defending the, the use of the flag. Um, to me and my family, being from the South, it means to us that we're proud of being Southerners, that we're proud of our culture, especially the fact that we are the Bible Belt, and um, that there are um, there's like a, practically a church on every corner in the South, and uh, certainly every city has a church of some so, some sort, um, and and I'm proud of that. And 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 um, there, there's just a lot of things about the South that I'm very proud about, and that that flag has come to mean to me those things that I'm proud of, not slavery and, and, and that sort of thing. That's nothing to do with why I uh, like the flag. In fact, I have a shirt with a flag on the back, and the front of it says, um, American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. Um, and that's that's the way I feel about it. I just I like being down here. Uh, I was born in Akron, Ohio, but I am now, I've since I was one year old, I've lived in the South. And I'm glad that I'm here. I'm a farmer. We're, we're farmers, my husband and I. And uh, we're country folk. And we're proud of being country folk. 
we work hard for a living, and uh, we, we like this life down here. But there's people who don't want us to continue with our lives uh, in that manner. Having all this land to ourselves, that's just not going to be acceptable pretty soon. Anyway, that's 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 my viewpoint well, on the flag. What- well, and this is, uh, and I'm saying this because, of course, we are in Bard's Logic after dark, and so sometimes uh, we could say some off the wall and some fun things. But one of the things I like about the South, especially North Carolina, and of course, North Carolina women is our accents. Uh, I just love a North Carolina woman's accent, you know. <laughs> so I'm on the yeah. phone a lot during uh, the day, and every time I see it, well, uh, lady's name from North Carolina pop up on the screen. I'm like, yes, I just, I just love their accents. It's just, it's very soothing to me. And actually, I had a friend. Uh, we did some work for the the Gingers campaign. Uh, she was in North Carolina, and you may recall her because uh, she's called to the show. Um, Donna uh, or, or you, no, Donna? Recall uh, uh, Ann Newsom. South, well, South Carolina. It, it was. Um, um, oh shoot. <laughs> I still talk to her every now and then. Anyway, I know. Yeah, yeah, Donna. Not, not, no, I'm talking about Ann, Ann Newsom. She was in North Carolina, oh, and yeah. we talk on the phone and stuff like that. And that she was just, she, I just loved her voice. And I've, I've, I've seen her on a video, and she talked in a video, and, and she had that North Carolina accent. I just absolutely loved her voice. Really enjoyed uh, talking with her, just because I mean, of course, we're on the same, you know, with uh, supporting New Gingrich, but also. Um, you know, just talking with her, that you know, uh, that just for me, the just that accent is just very soothing, and uh, it's it's hard for me to relax, as you probably as you probably well know, Cindy, uh, and it's just a relaxing thing for me. But anyway, that's a little tidbit on Bard's Logic After Dark about uh, my liking North Carolina and my accents. But uh, and and if you are listening to the uh, the archive, which I think you uh, may be, uh, don't take anything uh, away from that except. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, I did enjoy uh, talking with her. I didn't want her to uh, take those comments through. I mean, not that I think she would, but I, of course, uh, I have to make that disclaimer. Uh, but anyway, uh, so let's go ahead and uh, bring it back uh, to you, Ed. I appreciate it. Go ahead. Okay, getting back to the flag. Strom Thurmond, uh, he actually brought one of the most racist speech ever in, in Congress when he was. Um, a Democrat. He turned Republican, and then Trent Locke got in a lot of trouble backing him. But besides that, it is his grandson or his son today that is actually calling. And he's Republican now, and the Republicans are calling for bringing his flag down. The Republicans. Hello? Oh, no. His battery must have died on his phone. Oh, oh that's awful. Uh, just we, we just lost that, and I was gonna. Well, he, he's called in a couple times. I hope he calls in again uh, because I wouldn't mind making him a, a more of an addition to the show. I know the uh, the panelists are uh, are building with the addition of uh, you, Joe, and then uh, also uh, you know building with uh, with that because at, le- at least especially during the elections, I wouldn't mind adding on a few folks, especially since because uh, you mentioned. Uh, Joe, about the diversity of the show, and I do like uh, to have that. And, and, and having someone who's an anti-federalist, I think, uh, would definitely give us uh, another perspective uh, of looking at things. Um, hey, you, you know, know what, Because, of Rob, course, we do have the political way and religious the diversity here. Go ahead, uh, Cindy. 
and, and you know what we need we need a show that is strictly for um we the panelists to weigh in on all the Republican um primary uh candidates and, and pick them apart and um um uh vet them together, all of us. Um I oh, think yeah, that I would think, be a yeah, well that's definitely gonna be in the works, I'm sure. They're not all oh, yeah. I definitely think But we're not going to talk about Trump. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I just have a very you hard time thinking that Donald Trump's here. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about Trump. No, 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 just kidding. No. Actually, um, to go a little bit off topic, ladies and gentlemen, today Bobby Jindal has officially entered the race. I promised a Robert that every week I would give a little recap of current events of the primary. So, yes, as of today, Jindal is in the race. And yeah, I heard him on the radio well, today. Definitely. And now you're, you're going to be really pleased with this. Uh, conservatives out there, Bernie Sanders, of all who would have ever thought, is actually putting up a fight. He has life in him, yes, in New Hampshire at the Keene Recreation Center, which can hold more than 750 people, actually had more than 750 people. He's actually starting to gain traction with the media, and actually a CNN uh, commentator actually said that, uh, quote, uh, Sanders, uh, his stump speeches quickly reveals the senator is not always as radical as many people believe him to be. In many ways, he is as American as an apple pie. I'm like, keep on going that direction, Bernie Sanders, because you'll just make it easier in the general election. But anyway, well, here's, Sanders is putting says, up a fight. What, is it, what it says is that there's a whole lot of Democrats out there that are scared to death of, of handing this thing to, to Hillary Clinton. I don't think she's coming into a coronation. They said the same thing in 2007 and the dark horse came in. If you ask my opinion, my instinct, I think at the last moment Elizabeth Warren will rise to the occasion. And if she does, she will eviscerate Hillary Clinton and will wipe her off the map. And in the end, it just makes it easier for the conservative platform because she's even more left than Barack Obama is. That plays well within the Democratic base during the primaries, but it won't play well in the general election, especially when she needs 20% of the independent vote to win, and she mm-hmm. does need a, a, a certain constituency base from the conservatives to defect and, and vote as well. As there was a big uh, Republican turnout, surprisingly, in 2008 for Barack Obama. So um, at the end of the day, well, that's just the latest uh, news for this week. Um, one last piece. Donald Trump uh, is uh, technically supposed to file one more piece of paper with the Federal Election, uh, Federal Election Committee. That last piece of paper that he's holding up is, is uh, the last document in which he has to reveal what his assets are. Now, he has 30 days to do that per FEC guidelines from the moment he has he filed the paperwork. Uh, what his reluctance is as to why Donald Trump does not want to sign that last document, which would only take a few signatures, is beyond me. But then again, Robert, it's Donald Trump. Should we expect any less or any more? <laughs> that is true. And uh, and speaking of updates, I want to give folks uh, who are following the uh, Matt Bevin campaign is it's close, unfortunately, <clears throat> but it does have uh, – 
as of uh, at least June 23rd, and this is from the Bevan campaign, that uh, Bevan is up by 3% in the latest statewide poll, um, but at 38%. Yeah, he's at 38% to 35%, and, of course, there's 20% of likely voters are still undecided. Well, that that just means that there's it's probably more like ten percent that he's ahead right now. When when the when the when the official polls say three, it's probably more like ten. If it's a conservative. <laughs> or if it's even a true scientific yep. poll. Mhm. Well, well that's just that's what I got. Seven. Yeah, and that's what I've got yeah, that's what I got from his uh yeah, that's an announcement that was from his campaign. Uh, that he said it was 3% up. But, you know, it's still early. I mean, their election's not until November. I mean, it's not even July yet. It will be July soon, uh, but not uh, not quite yet. Right, a lot can change so, from there here to November. So, Cindy, that's true. And I, I think as, as we get we get closer, I do think that it, uh, that gap's going to increase in Matt Bevin's favor. Uh, but, so, so, Cindy, we heard from Joe. He, he liked the idea of having uh, the gentleman uh, who was the leader of uh, – uh, Polygamous organization coming on the show. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm definitely against uh, uh, right. uh, polygamy, and I'll let him know. But if he wants to come on here and talk about it, fine. But uh, I hate to give people like that a platform for something. I mean, I know that's why I you were the you were I, one of the people I had in mind who thought, well, maybe she might not be too keen on that. But um, well, I mean. I'm not. I'm not gonna. It's your show. You can do whatever you want. But I. I don't know. No, that never was. Any our. It's our show. It's our show. <laughs> it's the grassroots. <laughs> we the people show. It's Robert, our the show. The panel show. Right. <laughs> the only reason why I'm for it. I'm not going to be the one to say no. But I just. I. I. I, I have a problem with giving people like that a platform. It's like. But here's, I'm not. Uh, I, understand. I don't know if you have the only thoughts on here just to get right. his opinion out there. You know. Well, the only it's, reason why I'm for it in all honesty, is because at the end of the day, he's going to come here and he's going to make his case and he's going to try to validate and make his argument as to justify polygamy. And I think the best way to have healthy political discourse is to allow the debate. That is the only way we are going to get to the issues. So if he wants to come onto the show and make a name for himself, He's going to do so at his peril because at the end of the day, he's going to have to justify his views. He's going to have to validate as to why he supports polygamy. And then he's going to have, our, as, uh, as uh, we, the panelists, and our great host, Robert, our job is going to be is to decipher that information. And, it's, and our job is to be objective, but at the same time, debate him based on the merits. So I actually think... Uh, a good thing can come out of it. You know, he is going to make his statement, but we're going to have a chance to counteract and make our, our arguments against that. So it'll actually give us a platform for the people listening out there to hear both sides of the of the of the point. And as I was going back to earlier in the show, I think it's very important that people hear both sides of the coin, both sides of the story, to come to uh, a proper conclusion. And, yes, at times it may get frustrating when you have a guest on that may say something that you totally stand against. But how can we have a healthy debate 
and an honest debate unless we're willing to hear both sides of the equation before we rush to rush to a conclusion. And in my opinion, I don't think there's any objectivity in journalism unless you hear both sides of the coin, whether you like it or not. And I think by hearing both sides of the story, that's how you remain very objective. And that's how you can come to the best conclusion. Because at least at the end of the day, you can say, you know what? I heard both sides of the argument and I came to that conclusion based on that versus saying, well, you only heard one side of the story. And just because you didn't like what the other guy was going to say or, or what he was about to say, you pretty much censored him, you know, and you're pretty much contradicting everything you're standing for. You know, here we're saying that, you know, we should not allow censorship. You know, we should allow people to uh, invoke their First Amendment and speak their mind. And I think the same thing should be prevalent in journalism. Hear both sides of the coin, whether we like it or not. Then we remain as objective as we can be. Then we can come to a fair conclusion. Then people cannot judge us and say, well, you know what, you're being biased. You just heard one side of the story, and you're going based on that. And so that is the only reason why I thought it was a good idea to bring him on, because at the end of the day, if he wants to make himself into a fool, he's going to do it on his own. He's going to try to validate his argument, but he's going to have the panelists who are going to bring our facts and we're going to weigh in our, our opinions and, our, and bring in the facts at the same time. And we're going to have a healthy debate at the end of the day. And whoever is for or against polygamy, at least one thing will come out of the show. They'll hear both sides of the story, and they'll be able to have an objective conclusion to the debate. Well, well I, but, uh, I, I just think real that... Quick, uh, yeah. Real quick, then I want to get the get this part out. Is actually, um, you know, with Bart's logic political talk, actually, you know, one of the when I first was formulating uh, the show and and what the show is going to be like, you know, you kind of think of you know how the show is going to be. Is one of the things I first and actually, uh, now this has changed uh, somewhat, but actually that was the first uh, kind of uh, intention of the show was to be kind of what you just described. Uh, Joe is to be more of a, a forum for debate, uh, but just the way the show just you know organically developed uh, over time, it, it is what it is today. Uh, but uh, you know, this is what I kind of wanted to have the show to be more of debate, things of that nature. You know, yeah, we covered you know the election 2012, but then of course those those election cycles end, and so it'd be more like. Uh, you know, more debate like it, like you you put you know different views on, uh, but instead of forcing that, I pretty much just let it organically develop into what uh, you know Bar's Logic is is becoming today, and the, and the brand of it that it's come today. I just kind of let it uh, evolve naturally uh, to where to where we're at, instead of trying to you know pushing what the show would uh, end up becoming. And so, and I think that's you know more so you know with its developing on its own, so to speak is where I, you know, feel confident in, you know, dubbing the show the grassroots we, the people show, because that's what I feel like the brand. And that's where we're, we're you know, we're going, uh, is it's, you know, about the grassroots and uh, letting the people, we've always titled this throughout the, even the first inception of the show for people to do their own research and uh, make their own decisions. I think, but go ahead. So I want to make sure I got that out. Well, I just want to make, I want to get totally off the subject right now. Well, you had brought this up earlier, and I, I made a note to go, to go back with it because I wanted to, to point out something about the primaries and, and the people that are involved. We were talking about that earlier, and um, 
And we got four, and you got, well, and you got we, literally three minutes to do that and help to close out. Sorry, okay. Cindy. It's, it's only going to take one minute. Um, if you'll remember, David Cholesterol lambasted mm. the show for allowing Good yeah. and a few others to come on, and they, and he, he thought that it was absolutely un, unconscionable that we worked with Ron Paul to try to get the brokered convention uh, because we, we, we right. just knew that. Newt Gingrich would get the nomination if that happened. Um, so he was like one of the first ones that after Romney got the nomination, after the after the convention was over, even before even before that, he took up the mantra, anybody but Obama, okay? And and uh, Romney's better than Obama, so you got to vote for Romney. Um, well, I'm I'm waiting to see if somebody like Rand Paul gets because uh, he hates Rand Paul too. Um, if somebody, if if Rand Paul were to get the the nomination, I'd like to see whether he will take up that same mantra: uh, anybody but Hillary, or anybody but uh, Sanders, or who, whatever you know, whoever is the Democrat. Um, is it going to be anybody but when when Rand Paul is the is the uh, nominee? Uh, and I just I, I don't like when people just give up their um, their standards and their 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 creed for just the getting along thing. The getting along thing is what's killing us right now. It's what gave us TPP, TPA, TPP. Um, mm-hmm. It's what's going to kill us. And that's exactly what he expected us to do, is to give up our principles. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, and that's what, you know, and I, I always said, and then I'll have to unfortunately close things out, and I've always said on the show, even when we were working with the Ron Paul campaign, even when the nomination was set and Romney was the uh, the nominee after you know after the convention, and I you know pretty much said I, I just don't support him. I, I you know Romney, I can't because I mean I I railed against Romney throughout the entire uh, primary. How can I now support and say guy? Yeah, I support him. I kept with my what I thought was my conservative principles and looked at other conservative candidates and, and, and brought them out for the conservative grassroots folks can see them. But I always said that if your conscience dictates that you need to vote for Romney, I support that. All I ask in return is for you to support my choice. Not to say, yes, I'm going to vote for Virgil Good or whoever, but to say, this is who your conscience thinks you should vote for. You go, you vote for him, and I'm okay with that. Just like anyone who had to vote for Romney, I said I don't agree with it. I don't. I, I wouldn't vote for Romney, which I didn't. But if your conscience is telling you that you need to vote for Romney, then you vote for him, and you're still welcome here. You know, you're still welcome to, to come onto the show. You're still welcome, you know, here as well because that's what your conscience was telling you to do. But just give me the same respect and you know, respecting what my conscience is telling me to do without is what you put is what he, he did was kind of lambast me and lambast the show. Um, and, and there's a guy I don't, definitely don't want to give any more of a platform. Um, but, you know, and perhaps uh, him and I may butt heads yet again. Uh, but, you know, perhaps not. Because one thing I tried to do was put us back on the same team, at least for a little while. So I said, you know, if we're allies now in the same fight, if we, you know, diverge later on, when we no longer are, you know, the same way, at least we're together fighting for the same thing while we still, you know, are pursuing the same thing, you know, if we had the same candidate uh, in mind. 
but, you know, we'll see how those things develop. But, unfortunately, I have to close the show out. Um, it's terrible. This is probably another one of those nights where we can definitely go on, at least in part, into a fourth hour. But, unfortunately, uh, we won't have that. And so, before I get cut off, I will say, gosh, thank you very much uh, to the panelists and the audience, people who called in, to making this such a great show tonight. And then, definitely, uh, folks, uh, send out the link when you know. I'm going to send you guys later uh, the little message that I send out on the emails. Uh, so you can add them, uh, the email to your email list and just put them out to your uh, contacts to see if they'd like to get on the email list too, uh, where they can get the link, the description of the show, so they can download or go to the link or listen to the show as well, uh, whether it's on their you know, cell phone, uh, iPad, whatever, so that you can access uh, the show that way on iTunes. But, of course, unfortunately, I do have to close out tonight, uh, but I will, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And please check out her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. And thanks again, folks, uh, for a great show. Uh, you have a good night. Uh, take care. Good night to you. Thank you.